Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hi, everybody. I put some pre-show notes together to try and get some of the, the segues out of the way immediately. So first <laughs> off, you recommended Russian Doll. I don't think because it was good, but because it was Groundhog Day related, right? Exactly, yes. Yes, well, that's that's true. It wasn't that good, <laughs> it and it's that. a Groundhog Day situation. Yeah, I'd give it like a, I'd give it like a 7 out of 10. Uh, I mean, it was, it was fine. We stopped for like a few days because the first couple of episodes suck. Like, I don't like the protagonist. She's like, she is kind of, yeah, cliche I, as, I, as hell. She's annoying. And then, like, all right, standard Groundhog Day thing, whatever. I've seen this movie, been there, done that. And then it shifts in this kind of cool way that gets fun and interesting. And then it actually got better towards the end. But it was like, you got to get through the first four episodes maybe before it gets good. Um, but I think they're only like 25 minutes each. So, not so much yeah. of a commitment. Um, and she's kind of obnoxious. Well, and like Amy Schumer is one of the writers, so what are you going to get? Uh, well, you're going to get exactly that. But um, there was another thing about it I was going to mention, but I can't remember. Anyway, that movie wasn't that great of a Groundhog Day thing. What was, was another, or that was a TV show. There was a movie that came out this weekend that was a wonderful Groundhog Day thing. I think the best Groundhog Day thing I've ever seen, including Groundhog Day, called Palm <gasps> Springs. It's a, it's a... Uh, released on Hulu. It was going to be released in theaters, but the world ended, so um, Hulu gets it. And it's a Andy Samberg comedy movie, and I guess it's Same a romantic premise. comedy, but it's not really. It's it's more like a rom. I, I've I, I don't like to give it the label rom com because it's not like those movies aren't good, and this one was. So by definition, <laughs> it's not a rom com. Was it romantic and funny? It wasn't romantic, not really. Okay. Like there was a whatever an, an emotional interest or something, but it was yeah. that was not the thrust of the movie. The thrust was this I was hilarious. Like Groundhog Day is definitely rom com, besides just being weird thing of its own. But. Then yeah, it was as rom commy as Groundhog Day to the extent. I mean, I don't know. Whatever it was, it was it was amazing, and I kind of wish I could just watch it again. Like we're we're sitting if around only this were possible. later in the weekend. I mean, well, that's the thing is I could, <laughs> but we're sitting around later in the weekend. We watched it Friday night. And it was like, that was awesome. Like, I kind of want to watch this movie again, but do I want to watch the same movie twice in three days? And uh, we didn't. We just waited. So, How often do you rewatch movies? I almost never. Like, I've got a very short list of movies I will watch more than once. It depends. Um, yeah, it I definitely depends on the movies. Like, there same, are some, same with books. Books and movies, I'm, I think I'm unusually weird about never rewatching anything. There are some I've seen <clears> a dozen times or more. Especially like ones as a kid that I'd put on as like white noise to fall asleep to or something. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, it, it, but I never watched them, you know, again in the same week. It'll be a couple of years later, but like, you know what? Like just a few weeks ago, we rewatched we, we Inglorious Bastards. I haven't seen that movie in years. And, you know, five years later, you forget everything about it. It's just, yeah. you know, you remember the plot, but you forget how awesome a lot of the monologues are. Man, Tarantino can write the hell out of a monologue. Yes, he can. Monologues and people shooting each other. Yeah. That's plenty, Tarantino. Plenty of both of those in uh, Inglorious Bastards. I need to watch Hateful Eight. I was checking that out on Netflix, and apparently there's like too. an uncut version, and it's four one-hour movies. Really? Instead of like... Like the, separate movies? Well, like separate... Yeah, they're separate, you know... Interesting. That wasn't the, the original was one continuous story, wasn't it? Yeah, they also have that. See, I've only it's seen like, it once, so I don't remember very it's well. two and a half hours or something, but I guess you get like an, or two hours and oh, 50 yeah. minutes or something, but you get an extra hour and change if you watch the long cut, but they're nice enough to divide it into separate movies for you, so I will have to check those out maybe this week. 
And I had another last pre-show preamble nonsense, which is I was going to talk about The Last of Us 2, but I'm not going to because I'm going to save it for an exclusive patron patron episode with uh, Scott Daly. I, Who's actually played it, so that's probably a more interesting conversation. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you how awesome it is, but that'd be boring. <laughs> no, so this is going to be great. Yeah, I, I pitched it to uh, the the other doof... I don't know what we call the people who pr- produce stuff. I know Doof Troop is a, is a patron level. Doofings? Yeah, I'm sure there's a word for it. Anyway, the, the producer channel there. And I was like, anyone else played The Last of Us and like want to talk about it for an episode? And Scott was like, I've been waiting for like an opportunity to do this. So <laughs> he's actually going to finish replaying it, and we're going to do it this weekend. So um, you guys can expect that either when this episode is out or within a day or two of the release of this episode. So... Cool. Well, yeah, like I said before we started recording, I'm a, I'm about to get my Xbox hooked back up permanently. I think that'll be my my first. You you so you say that, but it's a PlayStation exclusive. <laughs> it's only PlayStation, like the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. It's not gonna be always, is it? I mean, uh, that's Last fucking of lame. Us I One has like... been a PlayStation exclusive for seven years. Really? That I know. That, fucking, I think I, mean, putting... I do. I do have a. P- yeah, I guess I have a PS3 as well, but. I think they're putting... Uh, I'd almost just... You know, actually, I, I was going to say, like, okay, I'm only going to hook up once. It'll be the Xbox because that's, like, you know, I've got, like, the Xbox One or whatever, and i got a PS3. Um, they both have been sitting in the closet forever. And I you think know, you that, can it, play that, The Last that, of Us. It irritates my weird little socialist button so much that uh, that I may just, like, say fuck them and not play either of them. Well, it'll make you happy to learn that I think Last of Us 2 is coming out on PC. Oh, there you go. So if you already play on that, you can play Last of Us 2. But what you absolutely have to do... <sighs> Is play Last of Us One first. It's not just like you know. But I got. A, but I can only thing. play it on my PS3. Yep. Or That's PlayStation. Wait, yeah, this is a. Or PS4. I can't remember which. Like, I'm so like not a console gamer. It's, no, I've got a PS4. So I guess PS4, the PS4 I, is backwards compatible. Is it, yeah, my it's yeah my PlayStation's fairly old, so it's. I mean, it's not like. Yeah, maybe because I can't. Remember. In any case, you, how, unless it's a PlayStation Two, game. you'll be able to play it. So. Um, but you have to play that before you play the second one. And the uh, the patron-exclusive episode is going to be full spoilers. There's no way to talk about the second game without completely spoiling it. Um, I was struggling to try and pitch it to Inyash this weekend, and I literally couldn't think of anything to say <laughs> because there's there's no way to talk about it without telling you what happens. Is it a very spoilery kind of plot? Yes. Yeah, because some like... Like technically spoilers, but it's not that big a deal. But yeah, I mean, like, there you go. yeah, exactly. Like it's it's possible to like the first game can be easily summarized in a way that's not spoiler whatsoever. You know, yeah. the first game takes place twenty years after a zombie apocalypse. You play as this you know rugged old guy, who, not old old, but in his fifties, but he's he's jaded as fuck, and he's escorting some fourteen year old girl across the country because she's a valuable asset. I thought a, it was his daughter or something, or does her father die or something? It's not his daughter. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's the first. So, I mean, that, that's the first one. <laughs> How do I tell you what, what the second one's about? I literally can't. Um, <laughs> that's cool. There's like, I I could even try and give you like a three sentence or three word thing, but even that is like, oh my god, that means that this happens. So yeah, just avoid everything about The Last of Us Two. Play the fuck out of it, have a ride, and then listen to the uh, episode we have coming out next week. They're both Tyler Durden. That's the real yeah. twist. It's a <laughs> snow globe, dream, something, something, matrix. Yes. 
the twist is that the protagonist is Voldemort, so. The real Voldemort was the adventure we had along the way. That's right. was all those flesh-eating zombies <laughs> we met along the way. <laughs> all right, so that brings us into our real Voldemort, which is Chapter 78, Taboo Tradeoff's Prelude, Cheating. Oh, was silky smooth. God, I'm, I, maybe segues are like the only thing I'm good at. That and talking about every segue I make. I could have let that slide. That's my mission is to just make, you know, in case that I, we ever actually do have a smooth segue, I can, uh, I'm the release valve to make sure I call it out explicitly. No, it's perfect. So it never happens. I think those are great. I think my segues are perfect. I thought you were being sincere this whole time. Hell no. No, oh. actually, that was that was pretty good, and that's why I had to call it out. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. If no. we if I just like naturally like followed the conversation, that would be an actually smooth segue. But I can save us from a smooth segue by getting all meta about it. Perfect. Thusly. Well, chapter seventy eight can be summarized in a sentence that's not spoilery, which is the parents of some of the students at Hogwarts want to know just what the fiddly snocks has been going on in this. Fiddly school. snocks. I uh, actually, you know, quite there's a fair amount of plot advancement, so it wouldn't. Not very easy to summarize this chapter in in a few words. No, I actually totally just stole that from uh, the. But I like the fiddly snocks, yes. Well, I stole that from the the summary for the part one of the audiobook. Oh yeah. Yeah, I get probably half of our. We rarely read like the chapter <laughs> summaries on here anyway. So yeah, Inyash, I'm ripping these off. All right, last nice. thing on the audiobook before we actually dive in is that the uh, once again just got to call out the awesome voice acting for basically everybody um when i say basically i mean literally everybody who does it but i was thinking specifically of the guy who does lucius malfoy Mm -hmm. i can't even impersonate his voice it's (laughs) just like he he speaks exactly like you picture lucius malfoy from the movies sounding if you don't remember listening to the movies it's great and like with this this thick highborn accent it's really cool cool all right i thought julian sands was like born to play vampire Lestat and they just made that movie too late for him but which movie like uh interview with the vampire so they made a they put tom cruise in in it which everybody thought was like oh my god that's terrible but they ended up doing actually a really good job but like it was like julian sands like already looked you didn't have to like change him. it was just like have him continue like uh vampire Lestat basically looks like lucius malfoy in the movie same guy <laughs> right on so yeah i have not seen that movie yet it's, like, it's one of those, like, oh, my God, this could be terrible. It's actually, like, way better than you think it would be. Oh, good, because that's actually my exact thought. Yeah. is like, eh, that sounds kind of boring. I think I tried the no, first 10 minutes. Good. My primary source of vampire Brad entertainment Pitt, is... Brad Pitt's another one of those actors where, where it's like he had to earn his way in. I'm like, oh, I really don't want to like him. I'm like, oh, no, actually, he's really, really good. Nice. I've been enjoying the hell out of What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show, and the movie, but the movie's older. Uh, oh, that's the... Uh, Taika Waititi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the show is just, like... It's hilarious. There's all kinds of little sound bites. My Rachel and I are always quoting each other. There's one where like they get like a ghost infestation kind of thing, and she just looks because they've got like a documentary crew in the house. Like that's the gimmick, and she just looks at them and at the other people. She's like, "We have ghosts." Like with the same kind of like eye rolling thing of like we have ants. <laughs> <laughs> all right, nice. so we're talking about Harry Potter eventually. Now that we're 12 minutes in, so it's about time. Yep. Lead us in here. What's going on? So what's going on? So uh, a lot of significant plot advancements here, but mostly all wrapped up in, uh, oh, we're doing another Ender Wigan fight. Um, And 
yeah, so it opens up at, we are at, which was weird for me. So we're at the Quidditch Stadium and we sort of get introduced to um, a lot of the parents of students that we've had mentioned, but uh, only some of whom we've seen as characters. Um, so who all is there? There's like Neville's grandmother and Tracy Davis's sort of middle class parents being intimidated by rich people. And then there's Luscious Malfoy and uh, with not, I think, and then a bunch of other names that I like didn't know until this uh, book and I think Lord Jugson is here. Like Lord Jugson is that a, is he from is he an OG character because these are all names I like I don't remember that um I think so yeah. at least I my my memory of Jugson's gone I could look it up but I mm. won't um if he was he was another nameless or whatever faceless death eater yeah. but he was the one that we were talking about his name before so I decided to say yeah. Lord Jugson Lord Jugson he's uh yeah so we got like the so random rich racist people. It was like Juxon and Knott and Malfoy and I want to say it was somebody else in there. And like Tracy Davis's parents and Neville's grandmother and Quirrell is there. When I noted that it seemed weird because so we were very much getting the vibe of like, okay, here's like the blue bloods of Magic World um, hanging out in the, oh yes. And so we're in the, we're in the like press box in the Quidditch Stadium of, for important people. Um and so it was weird. It was a kind of a strange kind of butting up of vibes that because Quirrell's just mo constantly is to you know act more important and better than everybody that uh, he's in the room with. <laughs> but now he's suddenly in a room of people that do that for a living. Um, so it was a weird, and they all clearly like you know. So you know, I don't know. Was it ever established like Voldemort as a person was he supposed to be like rich and powerful, or was he just like some random like? I guess no, because he started as Tom Riddle, so he was never like a you know mover and a shaker in society. Yeah, he was this like half he was an outsider, from, oh, yeah, like yeah, some yeah. crazy mom, right? So I guess, and I guess that does kind of fit, because yeah, as far as they all know, like this is just you know some asshole teacher. Yeah, um, I, figured, I I never jumped out at me that he was in there. He's in there because he runs the screens, and the IT guy needs to be in there to make sure things are going. <laughs> no, no, he has a little back because like towards the end, he talks to he, like tries to like tell Lucius not to be mad at Draco, and he he says a few things. And he, gives a little um, all-knowing little lectures to a couple of people. So, you know, he's kind of in, in and out there a little bit. But, yeah, it just seems strange to me because, like, normally every other interaction, uh, that like the environment that he's always in when we uh, see him, he's always able to plausibly pull off the, oh, I'm better than all of you mere mortals vibe. Um, and he still does it in this scene, but, you know, he's around, like, the rich and powerful, still sort of trying to do it. Uh, and it doesn't quite, it just, just doesn't feel like, it feels a little less natural, a little less plausible, or at least like those people that he tries to pull it on aren't going to like, you know, they're not going to be impressed. I got um, another vibe from that, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, no, I thought, and it wasn't like, it was just strange. I'm like, oh, this is like not, I almost just sort of pictured like, uh, this is not the, the, you know, arrangement Quirrell would prefer or is used to where like, you know, he can't just sort of smugly make everybody feel inferior to him. No, I but, think he just gets to sit there and kind of flex. Like, I, yeah. I think, and we talked about this before, I get the impression that, like, even the like the ability with the screens, and it talks about in this chapter how, like, it zooms yeah. in to show details and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems like a pretty powerful display of magic. Yeah. And so he's sitting there flexing all this shit that, you know, probably Malfoy doesn't know how to do or whatever. Yeah. And well, I gotta mention that get there's Go thunder and lightning in the background, and I'll try and cut out the noise, but if you can hear mm-hmm. the awesome uh, orchestra of, the, of Thor up there, that's not my fault. I think I moved from my house to yours. I had it earlier. Nice. Um, I, I, did, I don't remember anybody saying, like, that seemed 
I could almost picture like, especially like a Lucius Malfoy just saying like, oh, you're just the help. Like you are the IT crew and it's good that you got this whole TV screens thing sorted out. Now shut up. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, I but think so, also and, like I, being, being a teacher at Hogwarts is super prestigious, right? Is it, I wonder, the, I cursed mean, defense yeah. the cursed defense position. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't read much in, like, I don't think we get, got told much at all about this sort of dynamic. I was just sort of like, like now that we've got sort of everybody's sort of role and position in society defined, it was just sort of like in my own, kept playing in the back of my own head, well, what would that be like? And I could totally picture Quirrell like wanting to be able to pull off the superior to all you mortals and that that wouldn't quite work. And I could see like Malfoy and Juxon, you know, just being sort of like, you know, who are you and why are you bothering me? I could, and I could see, yeah, I guess what you say, like, oh, being a teacher at Hogwarts is prestigious, but I could also see like the, you know, rich asshole with their prep school kids just regarding the teachers at the school as like the hired help. Hmm. Like he could go that way too. And that would be, that would feel like a very Malfoy way to look at it. Um, yeah, no doubt Malfoy probably feels that oh, way yeah. about literally everyone who's not a Malfoy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I guess that was it. It's just sort of like Quirrell and Malfoy are kind of basically like trying to, like only one of them can pull that off in the same room. <laughs> so right. at least like, yeah, so only one of us can be, you know, better than all the mere mortals and everybody else has to play the part of mortal. Yeah, Quirrell wears but, it better. Yeah. But I thought it was sort of interesting. So like we're in, like we are like pointlessly in the Quidditch stadium uh, because they're all just looking through the Quirrell vision on, uh, was that the... Damn. Was that thunder? That was thunder. I saw the wow. like, little like, I'm like, you like moving stuff around on your desk? Or? Sorry about the, unless you remember exactly where your train of thought was, but if I discharge you, that's because there was literally thunder loud enough to blow up my mic. So that was cool. That was cool. Sounded cool. Uh, we, oh no, so I, that we're kind of like, we're in the Quidditch Stadium, but all of the action's happening in the forest, which is, for, I don't, I've seen a map lately of. Uh, the Hogwarts grounds, but I don't think they're like anywhere meaningfully near each other. Um, but which is also kind of like not important because we're seeing it all through Coral Vision. Um, and I'm guessing that like all the people in the stands watching are watching on like some big screen. Like, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So Coral is like totally running all this stuff. That is another very sort of Coral thing that he like doesn't have to pay much attention to it. He's just kind of, you know, making it all work and whatever. But. I just it was kind of a, like a weird vibe of like like then once it's planted in your head that like oh they're all just like in the fancy Quidditch Stadium press box and the is that thunder again? Yeah, sorry. Wow, that's cool. I think we'll just, have that for a few minutes, I guess. That's impressive. Um, but just like because it's sort of irrelevant that they're all there, that it kind of started giving it the vibe like they're just in a sports bar. And like, and they're in the sports bar because that's where all the really good Quirrell Vision screens are, because um, they're all just going to be sitting in this like whatever fancy press boxy kind of thing, like staring up at a screen. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, and I guess the the parents are there because they're. I, I like the quote. It was like they they wanted to know just what the fiddly snocks are going on at this school. If you'll pardon the expression, Deputy Headmistress McGonagall. <laughs> but I like kind of like the preamble, like the third person sort of bit where it says ordinarily it was ancient tradition of hogwarts that mere parents were to stay out for much the same reason that impatient children are told to get out of the kitchen and not meddle in the cook's affairs (laughs) the only reason for a parent-teacher conference was if a teacher felt that a parent wasn't shaping up properly it took an exceptional circumstance to make the hogwarts administration feel that it had to justify itself to you on any given occasion generally speaking the hogwarts administration was backed up by 800 years of a distinguished history and you were not 
An, an exceptional occasion has to be something more important than we nearly killed your kid. Right. So, Broken Bone, shut up, leave. Broken Bone wouldn't even quite warrant notifying the parents. Like, eh, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, that's just Quidditch, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't, well, I guess Harry's, you know, because in the original books when Harry's had the whole time, and he's not going to write home to the Dursleys about anything. Yeah. But, like, when his arm needs regrowing, that didn't warrant a letter home. But I wonder if it would have for, you know, Neville or something. I'm guessing probably not. It's like, yeah, shit happens. It's Hogwarts. You're going to come here, get a great education, apparently, and get your ass kicked. Oh, okay. Another random, but slightly uh, Harry Potter related uh, tangent. The because uh, you said when you talked about the Dudley, the I saw. What well, it's a really bad Netflix show. It's called. It's with Charlize Theron. It's called uh, Old Guard. I think it's sort of like a rip off of the premise of Highlander or something. But uh, like playing sort of like evil corporate bad guy is, and I reckon I'm like, wait a minute. It's the dude that played Dudley Dudley Dursley in the movies. No way. And he looks nothing. He looks he's like he's not all like fat and pudgy. He looks nothing. He is still a little weird. I think like his eyes are too close. There's something a little weird about his face. But uh, but I only recognized him from that because he was in uh, that Buster Scruggs movie. He was in like one of those short films and like that one. I'm like, why do I know that face? Like because he looks so incredibly different. So I had to like look him up on IMDb and I'm like, oh my god, that's Dudley Dursley. Um, yeah, so that's kind of funny. That's fun. So yeah. I only got about halfway through that movie, and I just got tired and turned it off. It wasn't quite the, like, oh, so bad, I'm not going to watch it anymore. I'm like, eh, I'm tired, I'm done. Netflix also just doesn't make a lot of great movies. They make some, but... Yeah, so I guess, yeah, it's more the, like the series kind of stuff that's better, but... And even those, it's like yeah. 1 in 10, yeah. 1 in 20. The Russian, but, Russian Doll was Netflix, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Which, also, okay. as long as I'm going to keep hating on that show, they're renewed for a season two? And, like, what else do you Russian do? Russian Doll? Yeah. Meta. They just do the whole thing all over again. I, you know, honestly, what they should do is oh, this just do the season over again. Just rewrite the season. They need to rewrite, or they need. To, they just need to re-release Groundhog Day and say this is the Groundhog Day sequel. <laughs> no, they should re-release re-release Groundhog Day and call it Groundhog Day Two, but it's just the same movie. It's exactly the same movie. Like you don't you don't redo it. It's you like, just release. It's the just old the same movie. movie. You just give it a new title. Same movie. Right. Yeah. All right. Anyway, what the hell the hell? No, it's just you brought up Dudley, and then I'm completely off on a tangent. You brought up Dudley, sir. I, but I, can, I, I thought you brought, you brought up something. In. I brought up something, something. maybe. Neville, yeah, is what I said, yeah. Uh, okay. um, but oh, yeah, the other thing that I noticed, uh, so Amelia Bones is also one of the, like, not parents, but adults in the room. And uh, it was, I'm glad we're seeing more of her. She's a cool character. Um, but, like, it also dropped in there. I guess, like, what was your picture of, like, the age of Amelia Bones? Because I didn't, because I guess she's Susan Bones' great aunt, which puts her, like, two generations away, which then would put her in, like, I don't know, at least all, I guess I was picturing more, like, you know, 30s age. Yeah, I was too. It wasn't helped by the fact that it was voiced by a 30s age something person. Yeah. Um, she just like comes off to, I guess because it's like, like she, she comes off as like the, you know, the sergeant of the precinct like vibe. I don't know. I was just picturing Right. Like, not the two weeks in retirement vibe. Yeah. But also wizards live to be 100 and change. So, you know, she's in the middle yeah, of her career. So. I wonder if, if wizards live to be 100 and change, but they like don't like do any of the other stuff like later. Does that mean that like most wizards have their like great, great, great grandparents alive? Uh, probably did before 1950 or whatever when Grindelwald was ravaging the country and then Voldemort <laughs> came along right after to clean up the rest of the 
uh, the most the rest of the recent yep. ancestors. Curing overpopulation. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's the highest goal. <laughs> it's for environmental reasons. Yeah, of course. You know, got to reduce that carbon footprint. <laughs> In a, in a world where there's literally a spell for, you know, carbon That's what Harris gets. Harris so. just got to, like, sit in his room and transfigure carbon into oxygen all day, all night. I guess it's not permanent, though. Oh, well. Well, like he, like he mentioned in this chapter, I mean, you can fill a cup of water with a simple fifth-year fifth spell mm-hmm. that you can convert into, like, 92 trillion joules of energy. And so, you know, your average... 15-year-old can produce enough energy to run. And that's if they want to make water. If they want to make something more useful, they could. But if you have unloaded water, you can turn that into power um, instead of having to burn coal, right? Yeah, how did that, our whole little lecture about the d- dangers of transfiguration, how does it work if you like you transfigure a cup of water into a cup of gasoline and then burn it? Uh, like, you're, you're kind of fucked. Like, I think on the plus side, water is fairly non-damaging. Um so it would be like a lot worse if you transfigured, say, I don't know, a brick of polonium into gasoline and set that on fire, because no gasoline, it, the water would be there, but like it's water, so it's harmless. You turn it into gasoline and then you use it like gasoline, which is you like power an engine with it, which I assume it would work because you made gasoline out of it. But then what happened to it? Because it's not gasoline anymore once you use it. it like it converted itself into something else. What happens if a transfigured substance undergoes a chemical reaction? Exactly. What what does going back mean? I think that this is part of why transfiguration research is dangerous. And I'm I'm also super curious to figure out what's going on. Oh, don't say. (laughs) I think maybe it's it's not real. Well, what what I could confidently bet is that it would run your car. And then afterwards... I know, it'd have to. Otherwise, it's not real, the transfiguration. Right. So then afterwards, you've got this, you know, hydrocarbon mess that somehow turns back mostly into water and maybe releases the extra carbon atoms. Yeah, because really, like, like any kind of hydrocarbon is basically just the water with some carbon added on. So you just sort of like created carbon out of nothing. So maybe that you created carbon out of nothing. And so the CO2 that you generated by that, those carbon atoms would disappear and turn back into oxygen. And so transfigured gasoline is the green technology. Hey, it works for me. Let's, <laughs> let's call a, a patent office. See, like that, that's the sort of thing, you know, any muggle-born, you know, gets driven to the train station on their first day of school. And they're like, wait, we don't do this? This sounds like a great way to make a fortune. Of course, since wizards don't use gasoline, and you couldn't exactly explain to your muggle friends, like, what the, where the fuck this magic gas is coming from. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm seeing holes in this plan. But there's no time to dig into them because we've got to keep going. So, uh, on the, finally, on the far right, one would find the enigmatic defense professor of Hogwarts, Quirinus Quirrell, who was leaning back on a cushioned benches as though resting, seeming entirely and naturally at ease in the rarefied company of a voting quorum of Hogwarts, or of the Hogwarts Board of Governors, which had dropped by this fine Saturday to learn just what the fiddly snocks have been going on at Hogwarts in general, and with Draco Malfoy, Theodore Knott, Daphne Greengrass, Susan Bones, and Neville Longbottom in particular. The name of Harry Potter had also been much discussed. And there they are. Yep. So, they are hanging out, and... And then we just kind of get, we go into then several, like, cuts between each of the three armies to see what they're up to. And we start with Sunshine. 
and I can't remember if I mentioned this on air or off air last time, but this episode or this chapter came out well after the previous chapter. I think it was like September to March or something. Mm-hmm. So it's extra long to give us something to read. That's I, it's yeah, and I I had thought because sort of like my uh, my sort of like large my big picture idea of like what I thought about this chapter was I liked the like really interesting kind of plot advancement stuff uh, that happened, but the, Oh, we're going to have another battle scene thing was like, you know what? We kind of done this before. This is feeling old. Like, okay, we're gonna have another battle. And I don't know. And maybe like these battles did just weren't as exciting as other ones we've had. But, um, but then what I thought about was like, like, because my experience of this, uh, like the difference between my experience of the of this reading and somebody that did it like as it was happening is that these months have gone by and you've been sort of like waiting for it. Whereas for me, it's like, you know, it's just like a steady, you know, in a steady input of chapters going along. And that if it had been a long time, then, oh, let's see another sort of, you know, Ender's Game kind of battle thing would be like, oh, cool. You know, we haven't seen this in a long time. Um, so it wouldn't feel like, cause this would feel like, you know what, this is like, we've done this before. Like there's going to be a battle and it's going to be, you know, action packed and Neville's going to look cool. And then Harry's going to do something sciencey and that'll be interesting. Um, I'm like, oh, we've done this. So that's what, what I thought about was that like the pacing, like there's sort of like inherent in this is like a pacing of when did the chapter come out? It was kind of a weird sort of like, like the way just sort of the format of like how it was written sort of influences like the kind of storytelling that goes on but yeah i know that um the martian was also another serial fiction and originally published online chapter by chapter which is why it's full of cliffhangers yeah and it worked really well to translate into a book uh that was you know cover to cover and then to a movie but it is kind of like the the things that you do when you're writing live are an interesting challenge I'm curious too, because like, you know, you're right. Like, it's another it's another battle, and what I like is that they all bring something different. Like, if they were all of them shooting each other in the woods, it would get kind of dry. Yeah. And it's been so long since I read Ender's Game. How did Ender's Game keep the battles interesting, or did it not? Uh, they were fairly small. Well, again, I like this. It's all this is influenced a lot by sort of like the serial nature of this, because you sort of like come in and like it's like a hit and then leave. Um, whereas like Ender's Game is just more like a traditional kind of novel narrative thing so it does go back and forth quite a bit into the into like the battle I'm, a, I'm about a hundred pages from the end uh reading with my daughter now um so yeah the, no there are quite a few probably more battles like battle room scenes than we are having like you know like battles uh in this book but um they i could yeah they're shorter i mean and that's the thing you don't you don't have these sort of like discrete episodic you know, almost to the to the chapters, so they kind of they like they sort of like come and go as just part of the like the flow of the stories. Um, there is sort of the same. It's been interesting to see it, like a lot of like you can see sort of like the the Ender's Game structure to this story is sort of like the scaffolding that like he's building a story on. So like I think before I was like trying to see the significance of any kind of like all of these little sort of battle things he was putting in, and it's. It's, it sort of like kind of puts things in a neat place uh, to see that like, oh, he's just like, this is just sort of an homage or like just borrowing the structure from the Ender's Game thing. And then I'm like trying to worry about like, oh, what does this mean? Or what is this trying to do? It's like, I oh, know we're just like following the formula for the plot. Like, okay, we're going to have another like battle. Um, 
but yeah, they're not as big. They're, they're kind of like the the sort of and and like the battle, like Harry's, you know, identity doesn't really have much to do with like you know how good is he at being general chaos. Um, but that kind of is what Ender's Game's about. Um, That's a good point. So yeah. having that be more central to the book yeah. makes sense. Yeah, these are fun. I imagine that there's so many of these in here because they're fun to write. Like they are, and they're, they're they are yeah. fun to read. Like like I was saying, what I like about them is that they all bring in something different. Um, if it was all just variations of them shooting each other in the woods, like the first yeah. battle, trying to get more and more creative at that, but with no new twists. Like every one of these has a big shift, and yeah. the ones that like presumably didn't. I'm not sure how often these actually happen, but like I remember by the time it was the Christmas battle it summarized that like there had been several battles between the first one and the Christmas one, but like we don't get a whole yeah. section for those. It's just like, yeah. yep, chaos won this one, dragon army won this one or whatever. Um, oh, the only other important thing to mention is that the students don't know that their parents are watching. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Cause we mentioned cause uh, yeah, that Neville would have been all like freaked out and nervous if he knew his grandmother was watching him. Well, and like I sort of doubt Daphne would put on her dark, dark with a K E uh, <laughs> attitude. Um, <laughs> If she knew that her her parents were there and everybody's just got to be, man, I mean, I imagine Draco would have been much the same if he knew his, you know, mm-hmm. if, if father is watching. Well, Dra- yeah, Draco sort of lives his life as if his father's always watching. In his defense, his father's probably got spies on him all the exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, it's not entirely inaccurate. All right. So, although his father, he didn't count on his father watching when he helped that mudblood girl off the floor in the um, dining room or all that stuff, right? Yeah, but then he had to like scramble that cover for it. So. Exactly. Oh shit! I did something nice. How do I explain this to my dad? <laughs> <laughs> shit. Yeah, so okay, so we are then watching. We so the, our first like visit with the three armies is with the Sunshine Army, and I think this is our first clue that something is wrong with Hermione. Um, because we just sort of like ended that last chapter with seeing that like, okay, we know she's somehow getting her mind fucked with by, you know, by Sith Kermit or whoever that was. <laughs> Sith Kermit slash Blue Fairy. Um, and But so we haven't had like a payoff like, okay, how did that pan out? And so this is kind of our first hint that, um, you know, something's not cool. And I think like our first two, so I can't remember the order now. Like, like for me, that like the two stronger than hints, but like the two indications that something's not cool with Hermione are a Susan bones just knows there's something wrong and like, um, is consciously worried about her. And then in a little bit, we'll see, like she kind of pulls Hermione aside to go like, uh, you all right. Um, yeah. She says that she looks exhausted and frightened. Like she had spent three days locked in a bathroom stall with a dementor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, the other one though, and this is again, I'm like, Oh, you fuck it. Like I'm, I'm still not going to forgive you. Kasky for, uh, the way he treats, uh, Ron, but, um, so we've got, so Ron got, tra- he's a transfer though, wasn't he? I think like, wasn't he from, he's a, no, he's a new, uh, well, he hasn't always been a member of Sunshine, has he? No, he always has. Uh, Seamus uh, was the transfer. Oh, okay. But, uh, I see, yeah, we just more like writing him out of the story, but, uh, like, so they're trying to figure like, oh, what should we do? And like, one of the ways this has played out before is just, is, you know, Hermione being the sort of inclusive, like, oh, let's all figure out what to do thing. Uh, but she's just like checked out. It's almost like, like she showed up to the. You know, she showed up to the battle with a hangover and just doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, 
And so they're like, oh, what should we do? And it's sort of, she's like, I don't know. What do you think we should do? Except not in any sort of like, oh, let's like collect the great wisdom of everybody here. She's just like, I don't want to be fucking bothered. What do you want to do? And they sort of settle on, I don't know. Let's just like not plan anything. And just kind of like, we got like all the good people and we'll just do it. And Hermione's just like, okay, fine. That sounds good. Let's just do that. Um, so it's like a very not Hermione way of going. Like both the, okay, don't really care to, you know, get any input from anybody and the, just not put together organized um, vibe to it. I think that was like my big first indication. Like, okay, this is a very, Hermione is not acting like Hermione. Yeah. Um, she's being snappy and yeah, like stressed out. Yeah. It's, it's very weird. Like I haven't like, cause like one of my first thoughts around this is like, oh, okay, this is like Hermione's possessed by Quirrell or something like, like this is going to be a not Hermione we're talking to. Um, but then other times like she acts, so she's just some kind of like f- fucked up Hermione, like, cause she does have some like authentic, like emotional responses to stuff, but not in any, not in the usual way you'd be used to her doing. So yeah. So I, I don't know what the hell to make of Hermione, um, in this yeah. chapter. I think it was, um, Seamus and Ron are like, wait, I'm the strategic master type. And Ron's mm-hmm. like, I'm the strategic master type. And Hermione's just like, there are three armies, which means we fight two armies at once, which means we, which need, means we need more than one strategist, which means shut up, Ron. And it's like, <laughs> oh, damn. I, yeah, I think it was like, I'm feeling the wrong way. It was, yeah, it was, again, it was like the, like, oh, Ron's contribution to this is to, like, you know, very proactively advocate for the let's not think about it too hard. Like, <laughs> okay, fine. I think that was that was Hermione's plan, and then he just basically concurs. Yeah, but He's yeah, like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do the stupid simpleton thing. Well, you know, yeah, the the stupid simpleton <laughs> thing being let's try to overpower them mm-hmm. because. Like the, and they have this thing of like, well, hold on, you know, it, Harry knows that he's outnumbered. He's going to do something, you know, crazy, you know, and over the top, right? It's like, well, do you have any idea what that is? Well, no. Then let's just save our energy to try and finitate yeah. all their bullshit, and we'll knock them out, right? Yeah. And that's and then like later we see Harry just sort of like calls out that as the strategy is like, okay, they both outnumber me. Uh, if we're just going to like trade mana, like we cast a bunch of spells and they just like defend themselves against it. Like that would be a great strategy for them because they, you know, they out both of those armies outnumber me. So we could just like blow all our mana. Uh, I want to do, do we ever actually, does anybody ever actually use that term? Because we so like transparently think about it that way in the way that like the mechanics of magic in these battles work, but. I wish they they yeah. use something like magical exhaustion. Yeah, like magical. Yeah, they, they don't. It, but it's very almost clearly like we're t- there's a point system. Like your blue bar has gone down. Um, and they get the impression that if you go negative on your blue bar, it takes longer to get back up to a hundred than if you go to one percent. Well, if you go negative, it starts uh, detracting from your hit points. That's what it does to coral. And that's what it. <laughs> that's what it did to. Um, I forget which one. One of them ended up in the hospital wing from like magical exhaustion. Oh, it was uh, Daphne. When they stage oh, yeah. that bully with the magic yeah. sword, yeah. or the lightsaber. Okay, yeah. So yeah, when, yeah. So when like, like Harry mad, consciously knocked yeah. out. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. And Harry consciously like saw that as like that was one of the problems he had to solve with his strategy was oh they would love for us just to go heads up against each other because then we would like spend all our energy and they would have enough left over to take us out when it was all done. So that was like Harry's big strategy is okay how do we avoid that scenario because that's a losing scenario for me. Um. But what the hell were we, so yeah, but so all so that's going on, and then Hermione's still being kind of like cranky, um, and Susan Bones notices it, 
uh, some more kind of like pulls her aside. And what does she say? Like, she says something like, Oh, you know, you basically, you should take a break. Um, yeah, you want, you want to take a quick five and yeah. then I like her mind. She says, Susan, do you think Daphne's right about Draco Malfoy plotting something? Yes, said Susan, yes. not even thinking about it. You can tell because his name has got the letters M-A-L-F-O-N-Y in it. <laughs> it's funny because Lord Malfoy gets to see her say that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I guess I sort of forgot too that this is sort of, sort of like on television, on QV. Yeah, there's there's a line somewhere in here where like cameras are prohibited from the battles. Yeah. And yet the one where, I forget if it's Neville superhero landing or Daphne and uh, Tracy... Wait, Daphne and Lavender facing off against Neville with lightsaber. Uh, um, I was uh, Daphne and Hannah, I think. Uh, all this, I think this names all just run. They're just all like red shirts. But yeah, if I if I if I can't keep track, I can't expect you to keep track. Exactly. Whatever. Two of the the speed witches facing off against Neville turned out to be on the. It said somehow that picture ended up on the next Quibbler uh, right. cover. All right. So, um, and then the only other there was a, like not important to the plot, but there was a little I wanted, I wanted to call out the uh, the Star Wars call out where is it? Uh, yeah, it's Seamus. Um, oh yeah. Says so he's like I found I find your lack of skepticism. He even says like in a in a deep grumbling rumbling voice. I find your lack of skepticism disturbing. Um, that was a good line because like instead of lack of faith. Then, uh, he and then the he, like, force yeah, choke on. The, yeah, the force choke on. Yeah, yeah. Who does he do it on to? I can't. To, it was another chaotic yeah. um another form of chaotic but yeah but they're imitating they're basically, like they say they're, they're basically imitating something that that harry would do because it was, it was a very hairy thing to say right and i can't find by skimming which one he choked but then yeah. he does he pretends to be choked it's like what are you doing oh nothing it's just something harry potter does <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and the other thing i realized was i kept being confused I guess I just sort of been conditioned to think like, okay, Susan Bones is not actually Susan Bones. That's Tonks. Um, and it made me wonder like, oh, have there been other times where I've been sort of like misinterpreting what's been going on? Because for this one, I'm like, oh, wait, but is that Tonks or not? And I had to think, okay, no, that can't be Tonks because this is not like, oh, you know, fighting bullies in the hallways. This is like a, you know, an army battle. This is, quote, official. Um, and that would be cheating if it were Tonks. So this must be uh, actually Susan Bones. Uh, it made me realize, like, I I didn't have a clear, still don't have a clear idea of, like, when it has been which or the other one of them. And so, like, at what points has it been, like, Tonks being, like, brave almost being the wrong word. Tonks being accurately confident in her ability to deal with the situation versus, like, Susan dealing with, you know, a, a situation that she feels overwhelmed by. Um, and that I've sort of, like, have lost track of that in my head of who is who. You know, when is she who? I think it's clearer, like, on a reread when they switch. And I think most times after she first asks Tonks, then Susan is Tonks when they're fighting bullies. Mm -hmm. um, in this, I'm willing to bet it's Susan just because you're right. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, because cheating. cheating. And, yeah. and, like, there aren't stakes here, right? Like, yeah. no one's, no one's going to get hurt. But the other fun thing is that Susan now has to, like, live with being able to pretend that uh -huh. she's actually this super witch if she wants uh -huh. to be. So she's just like, no, I'm not going to put my superpowers unless, you know, innocence are in danger. Oh, and I, and I didn't put that together because we have in a little bit, she has this sort of like, because uh, Tracy Davis has her like big, you know, super drama. I am the dark lady and like cast some kind of like fire spell, something, something. And that, get, that gets put to as a sort of like very sort of explicitly as, you know, and then, uh, and then Susan's, or, so Tracy casts the, the 
fire or whatever. And Susan comes in and is the one that like basically dispels it or something. Um, yeah, and I didn't put that together in my head that like that, you know, that sort of big, uh, it wasn't a huge bit to it, but like that kind of dramatic like clash between the two of them. Like that's the actual Susan Bones doing it, trying to like, trying to live up to the, you know, the reputation that Tonks set for her. Right. Yeah, it would be. But and then pulling like, it off, like legit pulling it off. So that's kind of cool. It would be a complete like just uh, cakewalk if Tonks was playing yeah. Susan here and she just like walked through an army. Yeah. Um, that would be, I think people would notice. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and there was this kind of like cool kind of like recurring thing of like Amelia Bones is watching all this happen and sort of her like being proud of her apparently grandniece. Um. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so that's that. And so then we cut over to Dragon Army. Um, and we get a little bit of... So now we see that Dean Thomas is now a dragon instead of being Chaos. Um, and so we get a little, like, inside. We get to watch Draco, uh, you know, playing through in his mind what this means and kind of an insight into, like, what Harry did. In, in the very Ender's Game version of this where okay harry you've gotten too good at winning so we're just going to keep making everything impossibly hard for you um and that, so harry has had to give up how many how many did he have to give up eight of his soldiers for each i think yeah four to each yeah four to each so dean thomas was one of the chaos army that was given to draco and like the as that's playing through is draco's almost sort of like respectfully pissed off uh, at Harry for the way Harry did it in that Harry did not just like pick his, you know, eight shittiest soldiers and hand them out. He like, it wasn't, it didn't quite say, but like, so Dean Thomas was not handed over because, Oh, like you're the one I can spare. It was like, the, like Dean Thomas was a, like an actual sacrifice on, on Harry's part. And yeah. That, I think he was told he had to give up one chaotic Lieutenant and he gave up two, one to each mm, army. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, and that also that he didn't like try to, uh, how did they put it? it was that, like they left with their dignity intact i think was how it was said that he didn't try to like you know turn them into like secret double agents against draco uh, he didn't tell them to you know try to act you know against their interests he's like any and, he, and then later we see like he even you know basically gives them good advice on how to on how to beat him later right um and that draco's sort of like irritated partially by the fact that he's not allowed to be irritated because of how like on the level Harry was about it, but that could sort of like, it feels, I guess a little bit sort of uh, defeated in that, like that in the sort of value of that strategy that um, he's left uh, like with their dignity and not coached to like act against him. Um, that that sort of like sets Harry up as like leaves them with a respect for Harry uh, by virtue of sort of the sincerity of the act. Yeah. Um, Draco says he couldn't help but tr contrast that with the way the game was played in Slytherin. Mm -hmm. And then he says that he hadn't offered the slightest insult to Mr. Thomas, but brought him in straight to his side, subordinate to himself and Padma, but no one else. And so he, he gives Lieutenant uh, um, Dean Thomas like a lieutenant position in his army too. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of what Draco talks about later is like the forced move that like he does that the way he treats Dean Thomas is very sort of like directly a factor of the fact of how Harry put the, put him there. He's like, okay, if you gave me a legit, like valuable member of your army 
and didn't set him up to try to just be to betray me, then I'm sort of forced to like take him seriously and give him a chance to perform here. And so then he does. Yeah, it said that he'd done well in one of the training sessions. So he got to like, I guess, keep his lieutenant position. And then Padma happens to ask, as though it was a perfectly normal question, whether Mr. Thomas had any ideas about how to defeat the Chaos Legion. Mm-hmm. And then I like this. The Gryffindor boy had smiled and said that Harry had predicted that General Malfoy would get one of his soldiers to ask him that, and that Harry had given him a message to, that the gen- that General Malfoy should ask himself where his relative advantage lay, what Draco Malfoy could do, or what the Dragon Army could do, that Chaos Legion couldn't match, and then try to exploit it for all it was worth. Dean couldn't think of what it, the advantage might be, but if he did come up with any ideas for beating Chaos, he'd share them. Harry had ordered to him to, after all. <laughs> Which, like, what a weird thing, you know, if you've got a loyal soldier saying, all right, go serve this other army as loyally as you possibly can. I know, it's like a weird, like, sort of, like, robs him of the, robs him of the loyalty. Like, I am ordering you not to be disloyal. Right. <laughs> Whatever you say, boss. Um, and then sigh. Draco had thought since he couldn't actually say they sigh out, <laughs> since he couldn't actually sigh out loud. I occasionally say sigh out loud or sigh out loud, and I... Sometimes sigh in my head, which is great and relatable. <laughs> and so Draco had uh, sat down and tried to think of some ideas. And almost to Draco's own surprise, he had an idea, a real one. In fact, he had had two. <laughs> two ideas. Oh, yeah. And uh, Quirrell calls out that idea, the, the idea of having ideas in a little bit. I didn't connect those two. but Yeah, I've got an anecdote to share when we get yeah. to that point. Um, um, I also like Draco has like a mid battles idea. In fact, this might have been his idea because um, he says he had two, and one of them is the locking gloves, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. And then the other one might have just been like go snoop on the Chaos Legion as closely as possible, and we'll copy whatever it is they're doing yeah. because they're going to be up to something. Yeah, which and turns co- out to be like the key strategy. Exactly. <laughs> like the most important thing he did was have them go spy on uh, Chaos. Yep, that's how they came out on top. But of course, he comes out you get, in the bottom. What is so the spell? So he's making all these gloves for, and it's significant that Draco is the one that sort of enchants all the gloves. That, and I guess it's every member of his army gets this like magic shield glove thingy. Um, and but Draco is the one that enchants them because it's a, the spell is Colaportis, I think. Yeah. Um, and then it's a we learn later it's a higher level spell. It's, it's like a level four spell. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it's more powerful of a spell than you would expect the first year to be able to cast. Um, and that's sort of like the significance of it is that uh, it'll basically, because it'll be more powerful than anything that any of the um, like stunning spells or anything or Somnium that anybody's going to be um, casting during the battle, that it's based for those purposes. It's basically sort of like, you know, infinitely powerful. Like there's no, it's a perfect defense against those things. And we get sort of explicitly said that only an Alohomora um, of equal or greater strength uh, will be what can like cancel it out. Um, and so Coral does comment later. It's like, oh, that, it sort of like passive aggressively uh, says to Lucius, like, well, clearly he wouldn't have been illegally given any training with wand magic before he was allowed to. So interesting. <laughs> um, Excellent blood. Yes, but oh, that's right. Uh, but yeah, and then the other little significant plot point to that though is that uh, it's not because like only Draco, it, Draco's the only one in Dragon Army that knows the spell to do it. So it is Draco who's enchanting the glove for every member of his army, and so he's drained all his mana. Um, 
it's funny how like it's just like we sort we've gotten that the kind of indirect like oh you're expending kind of a a finite amount of energy that like recharges uh, when you do spells has kind of been running this whole time but this 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 battle seems like the most kind of explicitly like you really just need to think of it as like mana points i think it's because um, it's like the first one where they're actually tiring themselves out yeah like well i think, I mean, yeah, I think the somnium spell seems, oh yeah. yeah they do cast some fake ones because it yeah. is somewhat draining but it's not it's not very hard to do yeah. and I, I guess what was like the thing that popped up most in my head was like when quarrel like uh knocked out what like 20 students or something all at once to like when Harry I think was, it was a couple hundred a couple yeah something like that like and that like totally like drained Coral I think that was maybe one of the earliest um, like sort of call outs that like okay magic is a like an energy that gets expended and recharges yeah I think there was also like in Harry's first battle um, he had his uh, like he was transfiguring that marshmallow on that ring yeah because he is practicing sustained transfiguration, and when mm-hmm. he gets knocked out, I guess his mana gets reset to zero, and it goes back to a marshmallow. Yeah. Um, there was another bit. Oh yeah, in the notes, I was curious what you had said that Coral and Madame Bones explain or mansplain about golden <laughs> hammers. I'm not sure what a golden hammer is. Uh, yeah. See, I, I only put that that way in the notes because you also being a programmer would have would have known that oh, metaphor. Shit. Well, now I get to know uh, my programming. Yeah, so. yeah and, and you didn't, uh, you've never read uh, Mythical Man Month either. Actually, Golden Hammer may be in Mythical Man Month. Anyway, Golden Hammer is, uh, and I think it's uh, stolen from the uh, phrase of when all you have is a hammer, then uh, everything starts to look like a nail. Uh, and a golden hammer is when you come up, when you've got an idea that fixes stuff that's just, it's such a great idea that it, not only does it apply to everything, it really, really applies to everything. And any problem you have, uh, can be solved with your golden hammer. Um, and I, one of my a, a job, a guy I worked with about 10 years ago, it was like a, the corollary to the golden hammer. He's like, now it's not like a golden hammer. It's like we've got, all we've got is a screwdriver and we're just stabbing the wall. <laughs> <laughs> just stabbing like that. nails. That's what I'll call it. Instead of calling it golden hammer, I'll just call it stabbing nails. I've been feeling like that with the last couple of weeks of stuff I've been working on, <laughs> but we've, we've lost all of our senior developers and, uh, we're, we're like at this point now where, uh, we're kind of just trying to scramble to finish what they were all working on and helping to coordinate. And then I'm pretty sure we're going to go into maintenance mode for a few months while mm-hmm. the people who don't know what the hell, like our giant monolith, like how it all works together. Um, we're going to just kind of harden the app for a while while we stop working on features which sounds like a great idea to me, but um, oh yeah, so I guess the golden hammer in this case would be the gloves, which uh, yes, because and yeah. so they're like, oh, he had a great idea, and then Quirrell's sort of like, uh, oh, I'm smarter than all of you thing is like, ah, yes, but he'll fall into the arrogance. But he didn't call it arrogance about it, but that like, oh, he's come up with a good idea, and yes, it's a good idea, but now that he's aware of the fact that it's a good idea, he's going to think it's the best idea. And he's just going to rely on it, you know, too much. And then Amelia Bone sort of like kind of adding, agreeing and adding on to that kind of specifically says, he's like, yeah, now that they know they've got something that can block spells, they're going to, you know, rather than just trying to run away or dodge something, they're going to think that like they should be catching everything um, that's going to, you know, cause them trouble. And, and um, the casting of so many charms will tire their strongest warrior. Yeah. And so, yeah, Quirrell points out that like, because Draco's new to the, business of having ideas he falls into the classic era of ravenclaw which is that he 
like doesn't want to throw out his idea because it has difficulties. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh my God, this is great. I found I thought of this idea and it's going to be great and I don't need to investigate it because no, no, it'll work. I had something like that a few weeks ago when we're trying to transfer like somewhere between 350 gigs or two terabytes worth of data. And they're like the, the not programming boring version of it is that there is a way, like the way our stuff's set up to do it basically with a single command. And I, once I found that, I was like, oh, this works on the small version of this da- this table. This will be like, this can be our, our solution. And so ran that, ran it for four days, the little transfer <laughs> line, and then it timed out. Ran it again for four days and it timed out again. And I had no idea what stage it was stopping because it doesn't have any output. I'm pretty sure it was stopping like when it tried to actually save the new database because the new one would be mm-hmm. like, I can't take all this. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And so like the obvious solution was what my coworker came up with, which is like, let's just write a script that'll transfer it for us. Yes, that was slower than this was supposed to be. Um, like if, if your idea had worked and it worked like as advertised in the smaller database, then it would have gone through in a few minutes and would have knocked this out. And so and like the other thing with the transferring, like, the script way of doing it was that it was going to take a couple of days anyway. So we're like, well, this, this method, since we don't know how long it'll take the first time it should work. Um, I got to add too that my coworker had the brilliant idea of just running the script, like by batching it on his local machine and running it in parallel four times. And it, it knocked <laughs> this all out in like six hours. Nice. It was fucking awesome. So nice. anyway, um, but that's the thing is I had, the, I had this great idea that I, overlooked its pragmatic difficulties and even like clung to it when it seemed like it wasn't working Mm -hmm. i was like give me another week i'm pretty sure it'll work (laughs) (laughs) anyway so then like because quarrel can't let uh lord malfoy get away with thinking you know that he likes anybody he says uh (laughs) what we are seeing here is not mr malfoy's best idea i fear but rather his only idea and then Lord Malfoy simply turned to watch the screens again, as though the defense professor had used up his right to exist. <laughs> I know it's a very weird, this dynamic with, like, we don't, I, we haven't up to this point seen Quirrell, like, dropped into this situation of people he can't plausibly act superior to. Oh, he can act superior to anybody. I mean, yeah, but yeah, it doesn't, like, come, like, in every other situation, it's like, oh, well, yeah, for this one, or I guess people that when he tries to pull this act on, like that's what they do and it doesn't work on them. Like I don't at any point feel like Lucius Malfoy was like worried about what Quirrell thought of him. No, totally. <laughs> Although I to- I get the impression that, that Lucius is just like this petulant little bitch. Uh, you know, maybe that's uh, not the right word. This This petulant brat who, oh, you know, as long as you're not agreeing with me, then you don't exist anymore. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. as soon as he says like, oh, that's a, you know, he's doing this, it'll be great. And then Lucius is like, he'll be the greatest Lord Malfoy that has yet lived. Exactly. And then uh, as soon as Quirrell says, you know, it's probably not the best idea in the world and here's why, then Malfoy is all like, you know what? You don't exist anymore. Forget it. Yeah. And it's so like, well, that's just like right. the most childish yeah. bullshit ever, right? And but when Malfoy says like, oh, he'll be the greatest Lord Malfoy ever, like the and Quirrell's like, oh, I'm sure he will be. <laughs> right well because then right yeah, after that like, cool. Augusta Longbottom says faint praise and Quirrell's like I agree but it wasn't clear who he was agreeing with <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but, but either of them like if he agrees uh, enthusiastically with Lord Malfoy that uh, that Draco's going to be the greatest Malfoy ever it's the uh, an implicit insult to Lucius to luscious Malfoy right it definitely could yeah. be um, so, yeah I that was a good line yeah Anyway, so now we get the cut to Chaos Army, and uh, 
I like that he's, how does he put it? Like, there's something about, like, oh yeah, there's something nightmarish about it. Everyone seemed to now expect Harry to pull miracles out of his hat on demand anytime one was needed. It meant that if you couldn't do the impossible, you were disappointing your friends and failing to live up to your potential. <laughs> I wonder if the talented people I work with feel that way. <laughs> well, like, this, this was a very, like, sort of, like, explicitly Ender Wigan thing. Like, that's kind of, like, the whole dynamic of his thing is that like no matter how good he does uh, they just wait until he does well to just then make it more impossible for him i wonder if any of his soldiers are like dude harry just snap your fingers <laughs> it's like god damn it that's all bullshit it's all bullshit i can't tell him it's all a, i can't tell him there's all tricks yeah <laughs> um you know what this totally would have been cheating too and you know flagrant misuse of his time turner but he could have added another five soldiers to his army that's right that. He could have uh, time-turned himself under the invisibility cloak and had five invisible Harrys running around during the battle. Oh, like one hour at a time? Right. I guess so. That would probably be pretty hard to do uh, without being noticed. Especially I think it would be impossible point. to do without yeah, being yeah. noticed. Coral Vision's going to show two Harrys. And he would definitely sometime. lose his time-turner for it. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Um, so, but we do see... So, Go ahead. Uh, there's just a quick fun call out that like we've got Ginger Snap, we've got Ellie Jeez. Knight, we've got um, a handful of other names in here, and I think this is around the point when uh, Yudkowsky had said, "Hey, if you write fan, if you make fan art of the of this book, I'll put your name in the story." And is so like, I don't person? think that Ellie Knight or Nita Burdine or Ginger Snap or Adam Beringer or all these random names. I don't think any of them were OG. And if they are, whatever, Probably don't have snap. But um, I, you know, I, I am willing to bet that uh, Ginger Snap wasn't an original character. I don't remember that name in the kind of book. <laughs> so I think that might have been their artist's name and they must have done some fan art or something. Yes. But yeah, that's just a meta commentary about the book. What were you going to say? Um, so yeah, so we see, I think somebody comes back on a broom or something, but... Uh, we see that they're collecting acorns. We don't know why they're collecting acorns. Um, they missed lunch. Exactly. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they, they're chipmunk manamaguses and a magi. Um, you know, that actually sounds like a decent solution to... I mean, I guess food isn't really a problem in the magical world, but you transform into a metamorph magus who like, can eat small things. Or, you know, maybe not ridiculously small things. You don't want to risk getting, you know, blown away in the wind or something. But if you transfigure into a cat and you have, like, a small tin of cat food that probably tastes delicious on your cat tongue and then turn back into a human, are you, like, satiated? How does that, that work? Yeah, I know. I think you might be. Yeah, in which case, cheap lunch. You would have to because, like, well, if you turn into an ant, you can't be, like, required to eat a human amount of food. <laughs> so. <laughs> what is this? A meal for ants? Yes, actually. <laughs> they turn into an ant and go on to eat it. Yes. Oh, is that so? Yeah, so we know that they're. And there was another weird. So we know, like, one of the new rules or newish rules is like you can't. They're not allowed to, uh, to transfigure or to bring in any kind of uh, muggle artifacts. And I think it's sort of like uh intentionally brought into like well what the hell does that mean or no it isn't that was like what was kind of in the back of my head i'm like what the fuck is a muggle artifact like what is like what does that mean um i think in the first battle he got called out for using a car battery um 
I think it means like no ball bearings, no skateboards, like none of the weird shit he pulled like on the battle before he led Draco and Hermione onto the rooftop. Yeah, oh, I, I think the reason like why it came to mind is I think there was some mention of like oh we wouldn't transfigure like what they were carrying the acorns in or something. Like oh we couldn't do that because if we transfigured something it would count as a Muggle artifact or something. I'm like oh we're being like that anal about it, but I wonder like if uh, I mean did wizards ever fish? Because like. Just transfiguring some fishing line between the trees would be a hilarious way to knock your enemies over. <laughs> I know that's what I'm like. Like when 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 is a when is just a thing start to count as a Muggle artifact? Yeah, exactly. Is, is a piece of string a Muggle artifact? Right. And if I magically reinforce the string, is that a Muggle yeah, artifact? Yeah, Not anymore. Exactly. Yeah, I would definitely be the one poking at the rules, but I think Harry, you know, a it would have yes. been a little less fun. It would have been funny to watch him trip everybody with with. Uh, with string tied to the trees or something, but um, I guess because there's, I guess because we there's such a recurring thing of oh let's bring our lawyer to this argument that like it would be just cool to be like if Coral's just like and no Muggle stuff well does count no shut up you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> well does this ha- shut up if I take my underwear Whatever. Apart, thread by thread do bones count as muggle artifacts because hufflepuffs are full of bones i could sharpen into spears <laughs> muggle artifact is anything i decide is a muggle artifact if you piss me off yeah i'm guessing like basically anything you can buy at a muggle store yeah, exactly but um, that you couldn't buy it away exactly or that yeah you could buy it at a wizard but you store. couldn't buy it at wizards but you can but yeah anyway oh yeah so then the other thing uh we see that they're doing and i think this is by virtue of us seeing that a dragon army person is spying on them, but that they're making green tinted goggles. And we still at this point have no idea why, uh, except that we do say you might guess that there was some sort of incredibly complicated and fascinating explanation behind this. And you would be right. <laughs> um, Did you like the, uh, where he lists out like his classes and then he has that line. Sometimes you didn't even, um, he said it like three times. Actually, that one kind of bugged. Yeah, that, that that one. I was like, oh, you're kind of proud of yourself for saying this. Um, I like it. I it some. I mean, it is one of those things that sounds like a deepity, but I think is applicable. Yeah. Like you don't. Again, you don't yeah, realize. So, so the like line was yeah. Sometimes, even though you were looking straight at something, you didn't realize what you were looking at until you happened to ask exactly the right question. Um. I think he does hit that beat a couple times in the. Yeah, I think he says it. Over. I think he says it three times, and I don't know if it's word for word, but but fairly close to word for word. Uh, I know he says it at least twice. I think it's three times. Um, I think because oh, four times. I, four times. Yep. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's one too many. I think no. yeah, and because <laughs> you don't get a four beat, and because it's kind beat. of like so like another one of those like you know obvious in retrospect things where like there's no. Like, there's no way you could, you know, reasonably figure out that that's where he was going to go. So it was sort of like this kind of arbitrary, like pull a rabbit out of a hat thing. Um, yeah, but, I yeah. did like. I mean, if I had to guess, you know, it wouldn't be broomstick flying. It wouldn't be astronomy. Um, everyone else is taking defense and charms. Harry's good at transfiguration, but not in a way that he's allowed to flex because he has to keep his his. And it's also not clear like how partial transfiguration would help him win. So. Um, yeah, and that, and his that, like, history of magic probably isn't the key to winning a battle. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, herbology would have been another good guess. Like, oh my god, you guys, right off the angle there into the forbidden part of the woods, we'll go grab some yeah, insane fucking plant and throw that at the enemy. That might have been a way, but 
Yeah, I think this is one of those where it was like, because, yeah, when I, the second time I read it and I saw that, like, like him uh, listing off his different classes, I'm like, oh, okay, that's where we were going. But that kind of registered in the back of my head. It was like, oh, this is like, I think I talked about this last episode that, like, one of those things like, oh, this didn't play well. But like, you had to read this a second time before you saw like what was that sentence there but the first time when you don't know it it's sort of like you're like why why are we what um so yeah i think if you read it all in one sitting it it comes together okay like you're not yeah well at least for me like it wasn't when i came it wasn't so much surprise but it was like sort of like the like like the first time what i remember then reading a second time was that like okay now i can remember the first time like you know vaguely scratching the back of my head like what the fuck are we talking about here um and then, oh, okay. Then a second time going like, oh, okay, this is what we're talking about. Um, and that's where it's sort of like, no, you have to like, these have to pay off as a, you know, they have to at least work as a one-time read. And then it can be like extra credit for coming back in a second time. But, um, but so... I was going to make a joke about it. Maybe you just wire yourself out reading all those books, getting your, your English degree, but... Uh, <laughs> so I'm saying I don't have time to reread this shit. <laughs> The whole semester. That was a fight. Uh, if yeah, when I was getting my my English degree, my bachelor's degree, my generic uh, liberal arts degree. Um, if you were gonna, th- in theory, if you were gonna do all of the work assigned to you, taking a standard uh, fifteen units a quarter, uh, you would be reading a, a book a day. Fucking and uh, and I picked the wrong major because uh, I'm a slow reader. I'm a slow reader. Uh, can, you imagine, can you imagine reading a book every single day? Because that was it was yeah, it was gonna be like five books. It was basically a book per class per week, and it was like five yeah, five class yeah. That's Maybe, kind of insane. Yeah, so it, and you just don't like like the trick to getting a bachelor's degree in English is to figure out which things you actually need to read. Yeah, John Mulaney had a great bit about graduating with a degree in English, and oh, yeah, it's, right. it's a long bit that I won't summarize, but it ends with him saying that he walked across the stage. And accepted a diploma for reading books that he didn't read. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't read. So true. (laughs) Actually, I think like what drove that the the defining moment in college for me that drove that home was I was taking a class on Faulkner. From this, like the professor was just a douchebag. Like people would like raise their hand and say something in class. Like, oh, okay, I thought this one, blah blah blah, Dewey Dell, blah blah blah, and they would say whatever their their point was, and the professor would just. stare at them when they were done talking wait like two seconds which is a lot longer than you think uh and then he would just say, ask anyone who's been on fire <laughs> so they would say that he would just stare at them for a bit and then he would say so what a dick i'm like oh i know he's such an why asshole. are you an educator i know and like so and he gave me like a c like on my first paper he gave me a c i think no i got like two c's in a row on the, on the papers i gave him and so for like the last like our term paper at the end it was for the book I didn't read, Go Down Moses. Um, and I just regurgitated what he said in class and just wrote it out. On a, and I read the cliff notes and I wrote and I gave, uh, just said exactly what his opinion was about the book. And that was the only A I got in the class. As had, but, I, you know, mm-hmm. I can't quite imagine. I can sort of see how one might fall into like primary school teaching. But if you could go to the trouble of being credentialed enough to teach a college, like, why would you do that if you hate your fucking job? Oh, no, that's what somebody else described. It's like, no, see, if you get a degree in English, you get a graduate degree in English, the only purpose for getting a graduate degree in English is so that you can teach other people to get graduate degrees in English. It's like being an amoeba. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, so, and that's how they get there. It's like, and, the, like, I had entertained for, like, two months the idea that that's what I was going to do. 
Uh, but no, they get there so they can just like quote be an academic um, and study that stuff. And for a lot now, a lot of it, and the really good ones were like they really enjoyed teaching, and those and those were the awesome humans on the planet. But for a lot of them, like oh, they just wanted to be a quote academic and like study shit and wear, you know, corduroy jackets with leather patches on the elbows, and feel important. And that the like requirement to teach students was this irritating thing that they had to like get their ticket punched about. And he was one of those guys. So. And there's a lot of that for and for like for like non-liberal for like sciencey stuff that's that like makes a way more sense like oh you're just like a scientist and you really want to be able to do this research and then you have this like irritating requirement that you have to teach like this especially the undergraduate stuff because like for these guys like they've been you know they're doing like the big kid things um, and having to like slum with the undergrads and teach like you know basic ABCs of whatever they're into but that's the thing with like English it's like all of English English is just bullshit like it's like opinions and assholes everybody has one and there's no like there's not like anybody's like at the time like there was an entire floor of the shit written about shakespeare in the uh theodore s geisel library at uc san diego which was the spaceship in attack of the killer tomatoes um, but the shit being written about shakespeare is being written faster than one human can read it and i guarantee you none of those are original thoughts <laughs> so there's like yeah so it's a weird, like, like how do you, f like, flex on that? Like, okay, I've, I've gotten my PhD in English Lit, and now I'm qualified to have an opinion. There's a joke I read about somebody who was like, oh, yeah, my friend got their undergraduate degree in Egyptology, and they didn't know what to do with it, so they're just getting a PhD so they can teach Egyptology. It's a literal pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I know. It's, yeah, yeah, it's weird. So yeah, right. especially like if that's what you're like into, but you don't want to be like teaching it to other people. But the cool ones are the ones that like they really enjoy just teaching things to people. Yeah, those are the cool people. Agreed. Yeah. So let's Tell see. We cut to uh, Neville, who is who it emphasizes didn't know his grandmother was watching, or he would have been more <laughs> self-conscious about screaming scary battle cries at the top of his lungs. Yeah, um, and he's chasing Gregory Goyle. And he's not as good at flying as Goyle, so Goyle gets away, but it's like this cool, really short shot. chase. Yeah, the impression I got was like, he's like totally wonky and bad at flying, but he's a really good shot, but he's also just like kind of fucking aggro and crazy about it. Like he's not very good at flying, but that's not going to keep him from being completely, you know, off the hook about how he does it. He's bloodlusted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. There's a subreddit um, I like called Who Would Win, where they like mash up you know, either animals and people or people and other people or uh, fictional character, other fictional character. Mm -hmm. Like all right, in round three, they're both bloodlusted. So like bloodlusted Spider-Man is way more dangerous than regular Spider-Man, right? <laughs> bloodlusted means they're out to kill and all their morals are gone. Yes. So that, that guy is super dangerous. Um, so Neville's just like the shrooming Viking. Yes. He's just so, like, <laughs> uh, he gets back and um, shrooming Viking with, glasses right he, he he gets back and he he's like you know shaking because of how intense the thing was but uh i like this too and harry is like you know i told you neville you didn't have to and he says yes i do, yes, I do. um he's badass yeah. and uh i did like this too uh theodore theodore not is the son of charles not one of malfoy's whatever asshole friends and he says, good show, Neville, Theodore said from where he was uh, walking head. And then there's like this parenthetical where Augusta Longbottom and Charles Knott exchanged brief, astonished glances and then wrenched their gazes away from one another, from one another as though stung. 
Okay. Like, hey, I our kids that. are being friendly. Like, Fuck. Yeah, they're, they're, they're supposed to hate each other. We hate each other. Why are our kids exactly. being nice to each other? Uh, then was, oh, yeah, and then we see we, Tracy Davis makes her, like, big, you know, grand, you mm-hmm. know, like, trying to, grand edges. I was never clear on, so I guess this means, so Tracy Davis comes to you, she says, I am the dark lady with an E, D-A-R-K-E, which I thought was, like, another one of those kind of meta things of sort of, like, calling out to the fact that this is a written work um, in the, so the winking at the camera. Well, and she can't be a dark lady because that's, you know, like dark wizard. And she she's not wanting to brand herself as evil, but right, she's exactly. going with like the I may, you know, whatever, emo. And I do and ma- the... magic with a K. Exactly. <laughs> um, and she says like, oh, yeah, I threw up a prismatic sphere like a second before Mr. Goyle's hex got Sabini. And then he tried to break and drill Hex, but he learned to his dismay that his weak magic was no match for my newfound dark powers. Ha 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 ha. And I guess what this means, though, is that, like, Harry has just decided that he's just going to let her run with that delusion and not tell her, like, oh, that was all bullshit. Um, yeah, I guess what would that conversation look like? She'd probably just think he was um, lying. I guess, and he can't, well, yeah, that's true. But, like, what would he possibly, because, like, like, he can't he would just have to get like even more Mysterio about it. Cause he'd be like, okay, that was bullshit. Well, how did it happen then? Uh, I can't tell you. Right. Uh, cause Coral did it. <laughs> um, All right. so then we, we cut, cut back over to Draco. To, yeah. Draco. And what does he do? So he's like a uh, report. And, uh, whoever it was that had been over spying on there, uh, who had flown over in their broom. Uh, um, Gregory. Goyle. Oh, yeah, it was a Goyle. Uh, Mr. Goyle. Uh, I thought That's it was funny. Lieutenant it's, Goyle to use. So. <laughs> um, the other, you don't get it till later, but he says that, uh, like, uh, yeah, and they're, like, transfiguring something. It's kind of, like, big and gray. It's kind of cauldron-shaped um, because it's a cauldron. Hmm. Two cauldrons. I thought that was funny. Um, that was one of those where I read it. It's like, cauldron. Wait, isn't that what he said it looked like? Oh, yeah. Um, and so they have no idea what the what the fuck that means, and we don't we don't have any idea what that means until the end. Um, but that also, um, I, I want to say it doesn't matter, but I want to say it was somebody else then also said they're like, oh yeah, and they're making these glasses, goggles, something, something. Uh, and Draco's like, did there seem anything special about them? I was like, oh, they look, they were like green tinted. And then I like, I sort of like. So then what Draco's like. Draco's like thinking to himself, he's like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. I don't know what to do. But failing all that, it's probably a good idea to copy those glasses. Um, I love that so much. I know. It was like, it's such, it was a good sort of like, like, and that, that bit right there was the most important thing he did the whole battle was like, okay, we're going to copy the glasses. And, and that's the reason he won. And I like that, like, it was sort of the practical thing. Like, okay, Harry had like this, you know, he tried to come up with another genius idea to pull out of his ass. And like it would have, well, I don't know, would have worked, but, but like that, you know, okay, you came up with the, the next genius idea is not always, you know, the thing that's going to be sufficient to get you what you want. Uh, and sometimes it's just some asshole doing the clearly obvious thing in front of him. Um, so I like, yeah, it was like not the glamorous way to win, but clearly like, you know, Draco did the definitely best move he could make on the zero information he had. And it was, you know, the key thing for him to win and you know not at all a like glorious testament to his cleverness it was just like oh well fuck i don't know i guess green goggles sure i don't know why but it's probably a good reason 
I like that because it's like you know uh, if it's a if it's a battlefield, it's not about winning cleverly or yeah. having this original awesome idea. If it's like, huh, they're all digging holes over there. I wonder, like, should we, should we be <laughs> digging it. holes? Like, all right, probably, uh, probably, probably friends jumped off a bridge. Did you jump on me? Well, yes, I would. What are you doing on this flaming bridge? <laughs> um, yeah, that was cool. It was like not at all glamorous. He wasn't all, at all proud of himself. Where he's like, fuck it, I don't know. Let's. I guess we'll make green goggles too. Um, yeah, it's cool. What uh, I like about so then we get the the Harry cut mm-hmm. about how he figures out how potions work, and there's like this nice little throwaway about like it was in the second book when they make Polyjuice in the bathroom, and Hermione becomes a cat girl for a while. Oh yeah. yeah. But it wears off. In this, it has apparently, if you mix cat hair into the polyjuice, there's like any, and you just try and wait for it to wear off, and it doesn't. Then mm-hmm. apparently, the person in like his that. anecdote that he heard from Professor Snape was she just conde- she was condemned to a life of despair as a sort of cat girl hybrid. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a whole convention for those kids. There is a whole convention for those kids. Yeah, it it, it would be. I often kind of wonder, like, I guess they don't have car seats, so that's good. But, like, train seats. Like, what? how the hell do you sit comfortably with a tail? <laughs> that's true. I guess you Magic. cut a hole in it for your fucking tail. Magic. I have given no small thought, not because I want a tail, but because it'd be kind of funny just to have one, like, to wag when you're happy or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking, like, no, like, sitting in your car seat would be annoying. I couldn't sleep on my back comfortably, like... Because if, if your tail came out, you know, at the bottom of your spine, it would be like like a like a whatever a monkey, like a tail, uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like a tail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know where else it would come out. So anyway, um, apparently, and this is what Harry hadn't realized until he was thinking the right question was that like the the reason that. Uh, polyjuice is a difficult potion isn't because like it's harder like harry can't cast insert adult magical level spell here like disillusionment right but there's no reason he couldn't brew a super hard potion and he's like wait why aren't we really tired after potions like what are we doing why is so i loved the whole long chain of reasoning Um, yeah i actually kind of liked it too because i was like snarky in the in our notes i said after murdering a couple thousand words he decides he's going to invent a new potion (laughs) um just as looking through i'm like wow this goes on for a really long time and actually as i was reading i'm like oh it's kind of interesting like a little sort of like conservation laws that do apply sometimes and not in others it was kind of interesting but it was like a long walk uh to get there so it like as far as like rehashing uh plot or you know story advancement not a lot going on there but actually I, yeah i kind of dug it too it was a little that's sort of like very classic hpmor of like okay we're gonna like how does magic how would magic work um, it's definitely digging into like the nitty-gritty and i like all yeah. the examples like you know if this whatever thing stomps this thing you put the stomped thing in the potion mm-hmm. and the potion only gives you the strength of how hard it was stomped or you know like the the heat in the bronze canut yeah. and it's just like it what i like is that it's it's like walking you along this little daisy chain to like seeing the insight for yourself. And then it says, then of course, Harry spells it out that it's conservation laws. And I forget the exact quotes. I didn't pull that part. He says that conservation laws were like the more, were the critical insight, more muggle discoveries than Harry could easily count. (laughs) Um, If, and then uh, he goes on to expand on that a bit, but then there's like one of the other funny quotes Magic did not appear to work like this, to put it mildly. 
Magic's attitude towards laws like conservation of energy was somewhere between a giant extended middle finger and a shrug of total indifference. <laughs> I get because he's sort of like walk, walking through the kind of logical explanation of how he's figured out it must work. And then it's sort of simultaneously like, okay, here's sort of like, here are the kind of semi-logical rules that at least make their own kind of weird internal sense while also sort of like describing in you know, like great detail about like, oh, we can just sort of like invent water out of nowhere like the other completely ridiculous violations of laws. It's like, okay, it does have this, its own weird other set of completely incompatible logic um, for how this works. And apparently it's that you can't make magic out of nothing. You can make water out of nothing, but you can't make magic out of nothing. Right. I like that. That's a good point. I hadn't thought to put it that way because I didn't realize what I was looking at. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that was the insight that potions wasn't didn't create magic it preserved magic and he had hypothesized which is kind of i you know kind of wish he could just go home and have his dad try this or something right like <laughs> hey dad make this potion and then you get like this disgusting spiny mess of soup rather than this drinkable smooth oh liquid. yeah that if a muggle did exactly the same thing right it wouldn't make a potion mm, just give you a spiny funny. mess <laughs> And then it's not exactly clear because it just says like he, he, well, he does the smart, safe thing because he's not going to ask Professor Snape who hates his guts. So he's going to go ask Professor Flitwick and says, hey, I've got an idea for like a potion, um, but I don't know. And I, I know what it should do. And I know what I think the ingredient should be. But how do I deduce like the stirring pattern? You know, how do I do I skim the acorn across the surface counterclockwise three mm -hmm. times? Do I whatever? And um like, we don't get how that's actually articulated, which, I mean, I guess maybe he was done, you know, he didn't want to spend 3,000 words explaining this rather than just well, telling so it was. And he's got to keep it as the, like, the aha for the end of the chapter. Well, so. no, what we what, what I'm vaguely curious about, because we've got the rest of everything, is how do you get the stirring pattern? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I, it, it makes no sense to me why, you know, turning it clockwise instead of counterclockwise should do anything, because I just stir stuff, right? I'm not making magic potions. And so uh, apparently he'd just been told to go to the library and research that or something. And that would, <laughs> or no, I think actually what it was, was he was told, oh, okay. Um, if you've got an idea for a potion, rather than try and invent a new one, there's probably yeah, a potion that does what you're trying to do. Yeah. So he, he was able to find an already existing recipe. Well, that was, so the, what I, what after the fact, I was like, wait a minute, how does that work? Cause it's like, okay, all potions are made out of something magical. Um, but then I guess at the end of all this, where that the sunlight stored inside an acorn counts as magic, like I think it's stuck with this whole idea of like, oh, you're only sort of redirecting things that already happened. But like, cause at least from, as far as we know, like the only, like he didn't get any like actually magic ingredients to anything in the potion. It was just like acorns and water as far as we know. Yeah. I think like, um, it doesn't say what this book, what this spell does, but like you touch the potion with a uh, bronze canut with pliers um, mm. or like the one at the crushed Doug Bog thing. And so because but, but he said like so that that whatever crushed bloody blah, blah, that's some kind of magical creature. And then at least like my read of it was that the significance of when you like touch the canut against the potion that it was the goblin fire. It was the heat of the goblin fire. And so there was like that was the magic was 
uh, the, the, the goblin fire it wasn't just fire it was goblin fire and so that's magical um, that like that's what that was my read of it like all the examples he gave was like okay this potion is getting its magic from this particular part of the process of making it but then I mean it was like super vague we don't know what how he made his like magic glowy cauldron stuff but we didn't get any there wasn't any mention of him ever getting any magic and and especially like the way he described it like the the quote magic or the you know the energy he was redirecting was just sunlight which at least like from the way he had sort of like set it up it then made it sound like the slot that was being filled by it oh it must be magic was the sunlight in the acorns which i'm like well does that count it made sense as for like a redirecting of energy thing but it seemed like he kept talking about like oh it had to be magic and i didn't hear any magic in what he was putting in yeah i you know that jumped out at me and i forgot to register that as a note of confusion so like a potion spends that which is invested in the creation of its ingredients but he also says that everything has a magical ingredient. Yeah. Um, like it made sense. Is like oh, it's so just, he's, yeah, he's just magically the preserving the sunlight, but like the sunlight isn't magical. The sunlight's perfectly mundane, yeah. and so are the acorns. Yeah. Um, and he seemed to say like, oh, it has to be. And like he went to all the trouble of like looking into do two different potions textbooks to see. And he said, ah, oh, Eureka! When he'd figured out that like, oh, it's always there's always some kind of magical component to it. Yeah, it seemed like it kind of like we went to all the trouble of establishing that, and then it didn't seem like. We stuck to it. Uh, something. I, I'm pretty sure we're missing something because he went through all this trouble of bringing his yeah. lawyers to, to how potions <laughs> works, and it's that's my like so, <laughs> my so contribution to, to the uh, HPMOR dialogue is the phrase "bringing your lawyers." I love it. I'm going to use it for everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right. That's my question to then to the Discord community. I'm curious: was there a magic ingredient that we missed yeah. in this potion, or does it? can you make a potion with any mundane ingredient and the magic part is just magically like re uh, respending the energy again? Yeah. I guess, I mean, it could like the other like half idea I had was that you, that you were somehow classifying like the energy, like the sun was somehow a magical thing, like, like, or some like unknown, like people aren't aware that there's this magical power behind the sun or, or something like that was the kind of the other way that it worked. But yeah, it all seemed like, it was kind of a big question mark at race. Like we went to all this trouble sort of like setting up these rules for how it was going to work. And then it didn't seem like we followed the rules we just set up. We also can't rule out the possibility of magic acorns. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, this is the Hogwarts woods after all. Exactly. Magic acorns. <laughs> all right. So then it just gets a cut back to the stadium and it's just like a couple liner where, um, the bet, the, battles are, or the army is about to meet yes. and oh yeah and this is where we see the kind of the scene of like this is when like uh tracy comes out being all dark lady and shit and then uh when susan just kind of like smacks it back basically but this was so yeah that little scene of susan to sort of like show her kind of her her weightiness as being like actually susan bones and not just tonks I know, it's great. And what I like about it, too, is like the little parentheticals that are like the parents' reactions. <laughs> and so when Tracy Davis comes out, it's like, you know, Director Bones is looking at Mr. and Mrs. Davis, who are like kind of wishing they could just die on the spot. <laughs> and then after Susan comes out and Tracy flinches and, goodness, said Augusta Longbottom, what do you suppose your grandniece has been learning at Hogwarts? <laughs> I don't know, but I shall owl her a chocolate frog and instructions to learn more of it. <laughs> Yeah, I just got like this whole like you said a 
a fanfic of the fanfic around like the Amelia Susan Bones dynamic. It's kind of a cool little. It's like I sort of like a hastily sketched out character that's kind of interesting. You want to see more of? Yeah, and I'm guessing, like uh, Dumbledore points to that last chapter that. You know, most parents or most kids don't talk about their parents because most of them lost somebody. Mm-hmm. I think um, Susan does live with her great aunt because oh, yeah. her parents aren't here. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's when true. Neville plunged shrieking out of the sky <laughs> and you grab the coolest picture because there's there's that one of like the squirrel doing the superhero landing. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the squirrel doing the superhero landing. And it looks like you've with got Mjolnir. this just for me yes. with Mjolnir and Thor's helmet. <laughs> And all I can think of is from uh, Thor, the Squirrel of Thunder. <laughs> I did a really good job. He did a Squirrel of Thunder. <laughs> he did a really good job of describing because he doesn't. So we, we so uh, Neville gets like shot off of his broom and he's like falling to the ground, and like normally he would just like have to take that lump like a hard skulled wizard, um, but his other uh, teammates, uh, Wingardium Levio or. Basically levitate him, like soften his landing, but he still lands kind of hard. And he does what he does. Uh, the description he, like Yudkowsky doesn't write it as oh, and then he did the superhero landing. He just, like just describes what he's like. He landed on both feet with one hand, you know, on on the ground. I, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but like he just describes what the superhero landing is. So then we appear like ah, oh, he's doing the superhero landing. Makes um, me think of uh, the end of Deadpool when I forget the the tank on uh, the bad guys team. She like jumps off that shield carrier and Deadpool is like tapping. I forget who he's tapping. It's either Negasonic teenage warhead or Colossus, but it's like super hand landing. She's going to do the superhero landing. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool. landing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I hadn't seen that one before. Yeah. Because when I, when you said that, I'm like, I wasn't, I remember there's that like picture of a squirrel doing it. So I wanted to like look for that and then, I saw the Thor squirrel. It's perfect. The rodent of thunder. Oh yeah, before, I guess, so Neville drops out of the sky, then we get a small cut to Dragon Army where all we get basically is uh, General Sunshine looking across the battlefield at Draco and then like they're, like she like has this stare of fury and then mm. they, the battle erupts there and then it cuts back to um, Neville and it explains why he fell out of the sky like we already did and then he does the, the superhero landing. And then he just jumps up and starts shooting people. And, well, does he? Whatever it is. He, he gets up and he's being super badass. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, no, I can't remember exactly. But, it could, yeah, because it cuts pretty quickly to then when uh, Hannah and Daphne go after him. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, I think this, this part's actually from this, the parent state point of view. And that's why it's not all in parentheticals. But we get a lot of parent dialogue and, um, the crowd is doing the doom song, the Imperial March. <laughs> and then I went on account of the doom. There wasn't the right number of dooms. And I'm like, yeah, it's the Imperial March. But I'm like, ah, oh, that's not doom. Yeah. I guess it's getting it's a long us, number of dooms getting us started. Um, because there's no way you could see that and not think it required musical accompaniment. <laughs> and then, Hey, your crowd's cheering for your grandson. Yeah, so if I hear correctly, some of them are saying our blood for Neville, our souls for Neville. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And um, and Amelia Bones compliments you like, oh, that shows uh, leadership qualities. Right. And then Albus Percival Wolfred Brian Dumbledore, what in Merlin's name has been happening in this school? 
And then I like uh, Lucius. He's just watching the screens with an ironic smile. His fingers tapping his armrest in no discernible pattern. Just kind of like the villain thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if he had a cat, he'd be stroking it. But he says, I do not know what is more frightening. The thought that he has some hidden plan to be help behind all of this or the thought that he does not. <laughs> and then, look, there she goes. And it's Daphne Greengrass saying, we'll take him at once. And, you know, I'll use my most ancient blade and you'll just try and shoot him. <laughs> I think it's sort of like laid out more in this scene that like the ancient blades are just sort of like because then never like bust out his. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he's, also, just sort of he's like, also an ancient house. Yeah. But yeah, it's just sort of like like random. They're just these like sort of quasi-ceremonial things. Or maybe they're just like as lethal as is appropriate. <laughs> because like they're able to, like they they just go full on at each other with these swords and it's not, but but it won't be fatal and you just don't have to worry about it. Yeah, like, I think it's, end, it's, she, like, lightsabers, it's lightsabers set to stun. Yeah, <laughs> set to stun. They're and like, they're like uh, katanas. Yeah. Either way, swords. But I, I just like that. <laughs> no, no, he's, the, no. What's the, the the training ones? The wooden ones. Uh, Bokens. Oh, Bokens. Yeah, that's what yeah. they are. Um, <laughs> what I like about it is that it's like this stupid conceit of just like a reminder of the nobility nonsense in Magical uh-huh. Britain that it's apparently illegal to cast this spell if you're not a noble. Oh, house. that's right. Yes. It's not like it's impossible. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't think magic is listening and checking if you're lying about your last name, right? It's just. It's oh no that's that's a that's a noble spell you don't get that one. <laughs> save all the save you can have the peasant you can have the like the, the peasant blade, which is just like a limp lightsaber. You should have like a switchblade, <laughs> right? Magic switchblade. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shiv. It's just like a it's a toothbrush with a razor blade on the end, but it glows. Anyway, so this is where um, Daphne gets her ancient blade and Hannah gets like this huge shield and then they both like leap over the heads of other soldiers to mm-hmm. land in front of Neville and that's the photograph that ends up on the quibbler. Yeah. I can picture it's like some sort of like anime like they're like flying through the air with like a sword and shield brandishing. Yeah, it's badass. Yeah. Um, and it so you get like kind of a cut to their battle and then cut back to the, the spectators. The I'm going to call them the parents even a lot of them aren't. Right. Whatever. Um, the grown-ups. The grown-ups. And uh, you pulled out one of the funny quotes there because Quirrell's being Quirrell at full speed here. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the, like, the, some, I can't remember which parents, but they're like, oh, that's good blood or something like that. They're just, like, trying to, like, toss around their casual racism bullshit. Um, and all I can think of is, like, all the talk of blood in Bloodborne, the video yeah. game. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay, so how is it? So it's like, um, they're like, oh, it's good blood. And then is it, the green grass parents or something say no no it's like their natural talent or something uh and that's when like quarrel uh butts in he's like do not wrong your daughter so that is not mere talent which you see rather it is what happens when children put their competitive efforts into a game which involves actual spell casting <laughs> um i thought it was weird because it was just kind of a strange like we've had so many like like uh like very explicit analogs of Quirrell and Hitler, or not not necessarily Hitler, but like Quirrell and racist fascist, um, and that, uh, but like fitting into the Quirrell mold, that idea of like like the blood purism thing he thinks is like stupid because he's because the the Quirrell vibe is the uh, what you call the competence porn, um, and that so it was it was kind of a weird. Uh, because like our our like our easiest like Godwin rule on this is ah they're Nazis, um, 
and Quirrell being like the bad guy is like, oh, well, he's the, the Naziest Nazi there is, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not like the literal mapping. Cause like all of the kind of, you know, soft, pudgy, privileged, rich people are, are spouting off the party line racism. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't fit like Quirrell's kind of elitism. Um, so it's like this still, like it's this, still this other kind of like, oh, I'm better than all of you. Uh, but not for your stupid old school racism reasons. Yeah, Quirrell's thing is like, I'm not going to do a blood test to determine if you're awesome. If you can kick someone's ass, you're awesome. Yeah. And I just noticed when rereading this that there is this is this line seems to have gone under some mild editing since the audiobook was recorded. Because the audiobook says, rather, it is what happens when children p- put their competitive efforts into a game which, to put it mild, or which involves, to put it mildly, actual spell casting. Huh. But this one doesn't have the comma to yeah, put it mildly. That's a strange edit too, because it's not like a huge. Huh. No, but it would add like two more commas to that sentence, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, but just maybe it's like a prose edit. Yeah, because it's not a huge change in tone or meaning, but. No, I just remember because I, I that line is in my head because yeah. it's really funny and like really just a very succinct point that like yeah, yeah the, look this isn't just talent. This is what happens when you have kids try and they try actually doing magic. They're not playing soccer. They're actually trying to use their fucking <laughs> skills that matter, and this so is what great. you get. Yeah. So he likes that a lot. And then we get cut to uh, Draco, who is getting his ass kicked by Hermione. Yeah, they're not. They're not doing any. They, none of them have landed a blow yeah. except. Uh, um, well, Hermione lands that wide-angle hex, but he gets the whatever the counter charm. Yeah, um, and it's like this whole all of this interchange, like this, like basically this and the rest of all of we see of Hermione. Like I don't know at all what the what the hell to make of of what's going on because it's a little bit implied. Like so, she's being like extra badass and just like more aggro than she normally is, and we're getting all kinds of descriptions. Like she's just not herself, and like a lot of a lot of mention of like how sweaty her hair is. Um, but like I don't. Yeah, because but it's not quite. She's not in any sort of like supernatural. It's not like so much that it's like you know oh there's some something clearly wrong. It's it's just like oh she's not acting like herself. It's causing her to kind of be slightly more badass than she normally would be, and she's like to some extent not acting like herself. But it's she's not acting like she's possessed or something. Um, so Hermione's a big question mark for me here. Possessed is a good hypothesis, just because like. She's still Hermione. Like, this isn't outside, um, like, the possible deviations of Hermione's behavior. It's just, like, we've never seen her angry before. Yeah, and, yeah I guess like, so. Like, this is her... Like, she's always been this strong. She just doesn't usually go all out trying to really take yeah. somebody down, right? Well, no, I mean, I guess, like, at least that part, this did seem like, okay, this is alien. Not like, oh, this is a new Hermione. This is Hermione in a strange situation. Like, oh, this isn't quite her. But I, like, part of, like, the... Like the simple little scenario my brain jumped to was like oh she's like in some kind of quarrel trance like that's not actually Hermione that's you know some somebody else wearing a Hermione suit like that like she's been taken over and that's not her at all but then we, we get like actual kind of emotional response from her that we're like okay no that's that's Hermione just not Hermione being herself at all so like I don't know what the what the fuck to make of it um yeah yeah, I will. We'll leave that one aside. I mean, do you probably, know? Have you read uh, ahead? Um, 
You know, I this might be cheating, but I, I have read ahead, <laughs> and I, 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 I'm pretty sure I know what happened, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you, so, yeah. Um, then we get a cut back to, oh, I like this, though, because they, that analogy always stuck with me from, like, they were complaining to Professor Quirrell, like, when Hermione was made a general, that she has as much intent to kill as a bowl of wet grapes, <laughs> which, like, that always so stuck out because, yeah, why, why a bowl of wet grapes? Why not as much intent to kill as, a you know, a puppy or something? Are, but no, a bowl are, of, are, not are grapes, wet gra- Are wet grapes wet lamer grapes. than dry grapes? Are dry grapes angrier? I guess so. But anyway, they, they had never seen her angry, and so when she's... She's bloodlusted, but you know, not not to the point where she's going to bring a, a a knife and try and shiv him. Yeah. But and um, it also seems like at least like the my are shivs muggle artifacts. That's what I was wondering. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. At what point? And like, what kind of is, it, is there? Like a muggle shiv and a wizard shiv? Feels like a, a a toothbrush razor blade shiv feels very muggle. But I think like you could make a like broken wand, pointy piece of flint kind of shiv that would be. If he sharpens tree branches to make stabbing weapons, Hufflepuff bone shivs are oh, clearly. Oh, that's the obvious one. I should have thought of that before tree branches, of course. Yes, that's a wizard shiv. Uh, <laughs> that was just, oh, but just that, like, so it's not just like, oh, Hermione's in some sort of like berserker rage and all pissed off. So, like, she is a little bit that, but that it seems like it's specifically Draco. She's not like just crazy, you know, you know lost her mind mad that she's super pissed off at Draco for reasons that we don't know. And Draco doesn't know. And, so, and it's not like that's explicit. That's sort of like the, the impression I got was like, it was, yes, I don't know what the hell's going on with Hermione, but it is because it, it like didn't seem like she's not just like unhinged. It was like, she's like pissed off at Draco for something. Yeah. You combine that with at the top of the chapter, Susan is asking her what's up and she's like out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. She's like, do you think like, Draco's actually plotting against me? Yeah. Um, she is. It does seem to be a focused on Draco rage. Yeah. 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 So I'm and like, so, and this is clearly some kind of after effect of like from the blue fairy, from the blue Kermit fairy. Um, Sith Kermit. Sith Kermit. That's, that's the other best contribution. <laughs> Sith Kermit and his lawyers. <laughs> um, so yeah I don't know if that's a big uh, it's a big oh I wonder what's going on here so Sith Kermit made Hermione hate Draco Sith Kermit told Hermione what Draco said about her mama oh man I'm sure Draco said some mean shit about her mom yes alright yeah. so we'll, uh, we'll we cut back to we cut back to to the lightsaber battle yeah and i love this this maneuver yeah has, oh yeah so i think i forgot a little bit but like so neville just like karate kicks uh daphne right yeah he does like a, a jump spin kick yeah and or like he jumps over whatever the blade or something and then as he lands he dodges a spell and then just like leans low and spins around just and kicks, kicks hannah really hard in the pit yeah, of her right stomach the gut, yeah right good knocks her over and she made a sad little sound, a gasping cry of pain, and was knocked off her feet. And uh, Neville did exactly, he would explain afterwards, what Cedric Diggory had, taught, had trained him to do if he was fighting Bellatrix Black. Which I like, actually. You know, yeah. mixing, uh, like, the whole, you know, not all of your magic comes from your wand. Like, I think wandless magic is a thing. But kind of like Thor's hammer, it's the, it's the concentration of, you know, the focus point of their magic. And like, why the hell would you restrict yourself if you're thinking, you know, clearly about winning to just trying to magic the wand out of their hand? Like, no, yeah. just fucking kick them. If, if you're next to them, 
you know, punch him in the face. That's it. Um, Wizard with a gun. That works with a, you know, a sword fight too, right? Like, yeah. Why are they fighting with swords? Wizard with a gun. Just because your sword is raised does not mean it'll be used to attack. You can, you can kick the person and surprise them. It should be like some kind of like perfect aim spell. So you're like wizard with a gun that can't miss. <laughs> that would, that sounds like cheating, but I'm sure it's around. Exactly. Um, it's cheating. And then I like too how technique. Hannah doesn't flinch. And even after, uh, um, you know, so Hannah's knocked off her feet and then like by the kick and then she turns and just shoots him. Yeah. And Daphne, who also hadn't hesitated, sank her most ancient blade into Neville at the same time. Wasn't there? And, was sort of, wasn't it sort of like he like he kicks her and then he's like, "Oh, I hurt her," and then you feel bad. Wasn't it kind of one of those deals? Yeah. And then she he, he, he hesitates, and that's why yeah. he gets shot and hit. Yeah. Um, which then that's where you get the we get a two line cutaway to um, Quirrell and uh, Amelia Bones. Yeah, I like to take like. <laughs> Quirrell calls it basically what he said, weakness and sympathy or something. Well, he says, today Mr. Longbottom has learned a valuable lesson about his feelings of pity and remorse. Pity and remorse, that's it. And Amelia says, and chivalry. And chivalry. I like that line. It's like, because you could like, like that's how it like uh, read to me, like what was going on was a very sort of like gender based, like, oh, I hit a girl thing that was going on in, uh, in Neville's mind. And, and that was at first, I'm like, oh, like my first reaction was like, oh, that's totally legit. He's just like, you know, spun around and Kung Fu kicked her in the stomach. Um, and I guess that, and that did like ping in my brain. It's like, like that gendered part, like, oh, you just hit a girl um, part. But like, that was my first like, thing. No, that's legit. We're all equals and they're fighting. This is totally like everybody's on board with this. Um, and then he's like, oh, like, oh, I didn't mean to kick you. Like he wouldn't have done that if it was like, you know, Cedric Diggory. Right, um, or if he, if he if he had landed the kick on Goyle, he might not have hesitated. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, it, it's just I guess a societal fact where you know you're supposed to flinch if you hit a woman. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you know, that's not it's. But you're right on the battlefields, like they yeah. and that that's what that's how I like how it turns out. You know, it's not like everybody stops right then and like time out. A girl got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the girls, even the one that got you know. Presumably ribs oh, broken, interesting... shoots him in the face, and the other one hits him in the back. But that's what I... Harry—that's what Harry's about to do, which is interesting. Well, I think, and I don't Harry... think he would do that if it were. I don't think we would have had that if it were a boy. I think we might have, but that's because yeah, because they were the... yeah, because you're, she you're wasn't right. much yeah, and she wasn't much more injured than other people have gotten in other battles. I mean, she can't stand up or take a deep breath. Well, yeah, but we've had other people like get more fucked up than that, haven't we? In battles, yeah, I think we have. I mean, I guess I, it's not like she broke bones or anything. She just kind of like just got the wind knocked out of her. I think that she broke bones. Really? Uh, he just kicked her in the stomach as hard as he could. Well, you don't break bones. There's no bones in your stomach. Well, depending on if he hit her in you know the middle of her solar plexus, he could have hit some ribs yeah. there. Yeah, if he hit her in the gut, then she'll probably be fine. I mean, you I think could, that's what it was. I think that's what it said. It said in the I don't know. I guess yeah. My stomach. yeah. My all right. Yeah. My impression of it was just that like I mean yeah, he fucked her up pretty bad, but it wasn't like. That nobody was like worried, like, oh my god, is she going to be all right? I guess I got the impression that yeah, she was in a lot of pain and yeah. out of commission. But you're right. It did I, seem I'm weird. Curious. I wonder if it kinda... was if it was Mr. Goyle that they had kicked and he was on the ground holding himself. Yeah, would I mean, they be like, you know, tase him? We'll 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 yeah. wrap the battle up. Or if uh... I guess I can't think off the top of my head, but like, if you just asked me, I would have thought that in other battles, people have gotten sort of like incidentally hurt, like at the level of one hour with Madame Pomfrey levels of hurt. 
They certainly get that hurt in Quidditch. I don't know if they have in the first year of battles. Yeah. Like, but it definitely didn't strike me as like, oh, she's hurt so badly that it would like alarm people. Like that it was sort of out of what was expected for a battle like this. So it was weird. And I didn't get, get quite like what, where, so I guess we jumped ahead a little bit that like, so what happens sort of like very shortly after this is like Harry comes out and he's got his cauldron. So we're not quite sure what's about to happen with that. But sort of like before he's about to unleash all of that, he's kind of like, okay, wait, like he's, he semi calls timeout. Um, and well, he's, he's he, just he gonna fully like, calls timeout. He says, hold, hold oh, yeah, battle. Just, and because it's Harry, they're all like, yeah. okay, hold on. Yeah, and then he's like gonna let her, which I'm not really like let her walk out. It would just be sort of like, okay, we just won't like hit you anymore. Um, but but yeah, it was it was weird because then I wasn't really sure where he was going with it. Um, and I get like, and we don't end up getting, but like she turns it down, and we don't really end up seeing any kind of like reason for why he would have done it. I think it was a, a chivalry impulse, and that reminds me of that delightful moment when. Snape comes to get Harry, like when he and Hermione are hanging out, and Harry reflexively steps in front oh, of yeah, Hermione, yeah. and then she gets in front of him, and she's like, "Run, Harry! Young boy shouldn't have to be in danger." <laughs> I know. It's, yeah, it was weird, especially because because Amelia Bones calls it out and uses that word chivalry. Um, and, I think it's being sort of like confirming out. like the subtext that's like as you're reading it, and then and then wondering. And so Harry's. It seems like that's basically exactly like Harry's doing exactly the same thing for kind of no like practical like no like long-term you know premeditated reason he's read too many books i guess so like, yeah, it was weird it, it i mean kinda, it was strange i i think it's been a few episodes since my last wheel of time reference there's this <laughs> maddeningly annoying thing the main character does which he has this really big problem with women getting hurt on his behalf like he's mm-hmm. a a general of like five nations and he's got a an elite class of warrior women there's like these tribes of like super warriors and uh, one tribe of them is exclusively women and they're the ones that like his primary guardians because they call dibs or something. I forget exactly how it worked out. <laughs> but he, because he's also going insane, he like memorizes the name of every woman who's ever died uh, under his um, defense or that he's ever had to kill. And he's like frequently reciting these lists of names in his head. But it doesn't, like it's pointed out to the character how sexist that is, but he never mm. quite gets around to acknowledging how sexist it is. Like, I think maybe I'm being uncharitable to my, my memory of it, but I, I have the impression that he never really acknowledged like, oh, yeah, you know what? That was pretty stupid. Why was I, you know, hung up on just because it was women that this was a thing? But what I'm getting at is it's a trope and Harry is too trope savvy for his own good here. Um, it does work to. Uh, is it like a trope? Because it's, it's not sort of it's not very sort of explicitly like, I don't know. It's not written in like big metaphorical symbols or anything. It's just sort of. Like, oh, girls hurt. I don't know. Right. Trope savvy it it was, is almost it was a weird. compliment. What I meant was like uh, too trope immersed. He, he, or it's his, cliched, kind of. Yes, perfect. That's that's a much better word for it. Um, I I think that's what's going on in Harry's head. He's yeah. pattern matching all the books he's read. Yeah, and it was strange because he's so not, I mean, like especially like the way he interacts with Hermione, he's, uh, he's most of the time not doing that kind of weird, you know, old school like the polite sexism um we can't rule out the fact that he's genuinely concerned that the student is injured and yeah. is yeah that's right because she didn't seem that. she didn't seem unusually injured like i don't know and i guess that, i mean now that we're saying that i can't like think back to like oh such and such got this amount of injured in some other battle but my impression of it in the time was like oh yeah that was a good hit and but boy i bet that'll hurt later 
um, but not like, oh my God, is she okay? But I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that. And there wasn't the, there wasn't a reaction like we didn't like cut to like oh and then the parents are watching from the stands and going oh my god is she all right like um, we didn't really get that reaction from anybody people were like surprised at like the you know the shock move from Neville but it was I don't nobody was like oh my god I can't you know is she gonna be okay Yeah, no one seemed really worried about yeah. it. I mean, people get knocked off of broomsticks by bludgers and land you know yeah. whatever hundreds of feet below, and sure you broke a few legs but we'll we'll grow them back and you'll be fine. Yeah. Like this is this weird, is Hogwarts, right? This isn't yeah. your friend of the mill high school. It was a weird scene. Yeah, or it's just a weird. Yeah, it was, it was puzzling. Harry's Harry's reactions were puzzling. It's a uh, chivalrous impulse by Harry that is misfired, but it is called out by. Well, I mean, Neville's chivalry is called out as like. Well, yeah, that's because it, it's like so, he does that right after Amelia calls it out as like misguided chivalry. Yeah, so we're kind that's of just, yeah, aware of the fact that this is yeah. like a a weird move. Yeah. But then there is the, and I I don't know if Harry was thinking this far ahead when he held the battle, but um, so when uh, Hannah refuses to leave, he's like, all right, screw this. Chaotix, the faster we stun them, the faster she's out of here. We get this over very quickly, mm-hmm. even if we take casualties. End truce. Tuna fish. Um, and Daphne's political hindbrain had only an instant to admire how Harry's few words had just made the Chaotix the good guys. And so it's not impossible that Harry was thinking that Slytherinly far ahead. I, yeah. it's not on the top of my list of his motivations there. Um, but it, yeah, but, it, huge, but at the end of there, yeah. it does. He's like, all right, we're going to be the good guys and just shut this down real fast. And it's like, hold on a minute. That, how, how do you guys get to be the good guys here? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. That doesn't seem quite right. either. I mean, yeah, it's going to help a little bit. It's not like enough of a reputation boost to make it worth like all that. Like if, that, if all of that is some kind of like fourth dimensional chess manipulation, it's not, not enough of, of a payoff for that to be the reason. Yeah, it's a. He took a pawn. If anything, yeah. he didn't take a, a bishop. Um, yeah, and I could totally see like, okay, that's on purpose. But I, that, that would almost make more sense. It's just sort of like a a manipulation of opportunity. It's like, oh, as long as I can spin it that way, as long exactly. as we're here. That that's how I read it too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then this is where he whips whips off the covering to the cauldron and throws the potion into the air, and they're all wearing their green goggles. And then it's we get the reveal that this is sunlight that's been magnified like a dozen times, which I guess he's not concerned about burning the retinas off because he throw those back in the hospital wing. Oh, yeah, that's um, true too. What it, like what was your image? My image was sort of like this is like like light imbued napalm or something. Like they just spill it out, and it's just this like glurp that's blindingly bright. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's how I pictured it. I'm trying to think. I have this image in my head that I'm trying to figure out where it came from, and I can't describe it, but. Yeah, like it's just this, it's so bright that it doesn't even matter where it's coming from because you look away and everything else is reflecting that same light and it's just like this searing, you know, blindness. And so it's a neat way to make it so that your opponents can't look at you, which is a, <laughs> makes it really hard for them to block what you're about to shoot them with. Um, it, so that, that one ends, uh, it says, what was left of the battle didn't take very long after that. Yeah. And then we get a cut to Blaze the Beanie holding the other cauldron facing off Dragon. And I love this so much. He says, now, I mean tuna fish. And then, <laughs> now, Bella Dean Thomas, do whatever they do. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's, totally like, that's the winning strategy. Even that's like totally lowbrow. Right. So they put on their goggles and then the dragons are putting on their goggles. And, hey, that's cheating. <laughs> hey, that's technique. Dragons, charge. And <laughs> another parenthetical. 
Pardon me, Lady Greengrass said. Could you stop laughing like that, Mr. Quirrell? It's unnerving. <laughs> and then, Finite their goggles. We can still win. You heard them, Bella Dean. Get their glasses. <laughs> and so it's just like the the biggest, like, again, it how how infuriating that would be for, like, your brilliant strategy. And then, you know, all right, well, we'll get the goggles. And it's like, you heard them. The goggles are the weak point. Get those. <laughs> right, that just always makes me laugh. And I like, and this is supposed to be, like, again, you know, like, Harry pulling a rabbit out of his hat and uh, you know what genius move is he going to do to win this time it's like no it didn't work it was a great idea and it didn't work I mean now like the obvious thing you'll see in hindsight is keep your goggles as soon as you transfigure them tuck them into your your Mm -hmm. pockets but that's really a lot easier to say after the fact rather than beforehand right yes and I guess did like uh, I guess he was just telling people what to do. Like Harry could have had all of the, that whole plan could have just been under wraps. He didn't have to like share that with it. He didn't like have to train people how to make the potion or whatever. So no, I think gone. that I mean he only had to make you know two maybe one potion important to the cauldron or make two potions probably two right. potions to hide it so it doesn't you know light up you know like uh-huh. a nuke one part of the woods. But um, but it wasn't like a conspiracy he had to hide up until because like, you know somebody might have told somebody else and they would have known ahead of time or. Yeah, I think that the traitor business is gone, but it's still like the, you know, if we get spied on, let's make sure they don't see what we're doing. If, of all they see is that we're making a potion, like, well, tough shit. But yeah. uh, if they see our glasses, they, but it, it, it's that genius master stroke of like, it's not, it's a, it's a very clever, I'm trying to find, like, because it is a very clever and smart move, like just copy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a, it's not elegant, right? Yeah. I was—I I wouldn't even call it clever. It's—it's it's like the right move, uh, and it's the winning move. But it's just—I guess—and that was sort of like what I liked about it. It was kind of the, like the takeaway was like you know the the winning move is not always the clever move. Um, right. Sometimes the one is just like you know yeah. I don't know why we're doing it, but let's see what we can do. So, um. Anyway, then we get the cut to Draco and the Sunshine General, who's shooting the full adult stunning hex, not Somnium at him, and. Mm-hmm. Um, he manages to deflect it and, or I guess it, it dissipates on the color port dis- uh, the glove. It yeah. doesn't yeah, he's like, like deflect because the deflection would be a lot more useful than dis- dissipating, yeah. but dissipating just, like, is still super yeah, useful. Blocks it. Basically. Yeah. And then like, it's just been, he goes on to describe how it's just been this, like, this insane fight, like his first real, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, adult feeling fight. And, he says, you know, any reason you're feeling mad at me, Granger? And she says, I know what you're up to. Hermione Granger said Hermione Granger, her voice rising. I know what you and Snape are up to, Malfoy, and I know who's behind it. And he says, huh? And then he's like, wait, you think I'm plotting against you? And he says, you too. I helped you, you buck-toothed bint. <laughs> and bint. I read that whole thing because I don't think that's his first insult that alliterates. And I'm pretty sure one of his tutors must have given him insult lessons. <laughs> Bent. It's also a very like British sounding insult. Dim eyed dimwit or something. There's another. There's another one that Bint. alliterates somewhere in the story. Pratt. Yeah. You petty Pratt. That's not. That's all right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is actually kind of a fun callback too. He tries to hit her with a tooth lengthening hex. Yes. Which she does get hit with in the books, the canon one. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that now. I remember it being a thing because she was embarrassed of her long teeth. Yeah. And so when she goes to Madame Pomfrey, she's, like, go for teeth she, she's shrinking the teeth down and she lets them go a little shorter than they were before, <laughs> which, I mean, it's a small beat and it's, I guess, you know, 
a great message about how you should change your appearance to make yourself feel better. Which, you know, one can. <laughs> if you if you can, you know, get a nice shirt, get a haircut, shorten your teeth, whatever you got to do. Shorten you know? teeth. Um, Hair plugs. So this is the, the badass part. It, it, like, it plays this over and over, like, in Draco's memory and uh, maybe even in this scene. But she does, like, this whirl and her hair comes up and she elahomores his glove and time should have stopped. And these are all, like, line breaks, but mm-hmm. it didn't. Instead, the padlock clicked and fell off his glove. Just like that. Just like, like that. The screen showed it very clearly to the entire Hogwarts stadium. And, like... Something about that just plays very anime, especially the way it keeps replaying it. Yeah. And uh, that's not an insult. I think it's it works perfectly for it. Yeah. And then we just sort of like cut there. Like we don't play out the rest of everything. It's just kind of like that and then it's over. Well, then she somniums him and he collapses. Yeah. Yeah. So then the mm-hmm. dragon warriors charge at the top of their lungs and, or yeah, whatever, scream and charge to avenge their fallen commander. But... This is the the fun dramatic cutback to the to the grown-ups table, and yeah, this the, way, and then we just sort of like it's it's like we've just jumped forward to like oh, they're all just kind of walking away in disgust. I get the impression that they didn't even sit around to finish the battle. Like Lucius, the the Malfoy contingent, which is Lucius and Charles Knott and Lord Jugson, um, they just say nothing and stand up, and uh, they're all just like in unison leaving and this is where Quirrell gets out his uh Lord Malfoy that man was still seated in his own chair looking upon the parchment screens arms limp at his side as though for some reason he didn't feel like moving he says your son performed exceptionally well today I must confess that I underestimated him and his army and he's and he has earned his army's loyalty as you have witnessed speaking as your son's teacher it is my opinion that he will not benefit from if you were if your interference that he will not benefit if your interference in his, and then he gets cut off as Malfoy leaves. Mm-hmm. It a, it's a strange dynamic we're not used to seeing Quirrell like being treated like the help. <laughs> Which I got, Magic's got to, uh, especially like, you know, being a Voldemort and that uh, Malfoy used to be his bitch. He's like, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> do you even, do you know who I am? I'm not I'm endorsing so your insane you? theory, but... Yeah, (laughs) it's gonna all be down until we get to the last page for that. Ah, you were right. Well, actually, it turned out that you know no one saw this coming. It's It's like Cookie Monster all along. It's like an afterword in the book, and it's just like, oh, no one noticed this, but you know the you know the defense professor was was Voldemort the whole time, which is a total surprise because no one read the canon books. (laughs) Uh, That said. We we have I I'm not I'm making that as a joke. I am not ready to endorse that that reading yet. Sure. Um, sure. There there is there is good reason to be speculative. <laughs> I mean I could be all I I don't have it all nailed down. There's 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 details I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I'm just trying to see where we left off. Um, um I think that's it, and then we kind of cut to then like then we know Draco's awake and whatever but I think the, it's all aftermath after the fact oh yeah we do get a little bit yeah. of thing like the battle's over and then um, Director Bones I, I like this bit a bit she says I, I do confess that I find myself disturbed by the skill with which those children are fighting one another mm, yeah. and then Lord Greengrass is like 
the skill, well, their spells aren't that impressive, except for Daphne's, of course, because, <laughs> you know. Um, but she points out the stunning hex is not a first-year spell, but that's not what I'm talking about. Like, they reacted at speed to surprises. They, they ambushed. They worked, like, as a coordinated battle unit. And uh, um, she says, uh, you are readying them to become a military forest professor. To what end? And Lord Greengrass says, now hold on, there's plenty of schools where they teach dueling. And now they just, like, quarrels disdain for dueling. Because, mm. like, you know, dueling's yeah, a fine sport before, like, or whatever. But yeah, it's, like... stupid when you think there's rules. Exactly. And he says, dueling? This is, that is nothing, Lord Greengrass, to what my students have learned. They have learned not to hesitate in the face of ambushes and greater foes. They have learned to adapt when combat conditions change and change again. Did you pull this quote, or am I... I feel like you did, but uh, I can't I find pulled it. it. No, yeah, I pulled oh, it. Oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, These wizards will not hide in their manners and wait to be protected when the next threat comes. They will know they know how to fight. Yeah. Yeah. I like it's, and so that's a very kind of like explicit callback to his, um, his budding fascist speech in front of the whole school um, early on. And I thought it was sort of interesting because like it was so very like, oh, and, you know, and then it, it was kind of like simultaneously... Like, oh, and your biggest problem is that you fell to, like, one, you know, uh, one charismatic leader while also just sort of, like, setting up all of the, you know, all of this, the, the perfect scenario for just propping up the next charismatic leader. Um, so, yeah, it's a weird... It's funny, like, different ways that Quirrell sort of, like, like, differs in the particulars in Scary Fascist while like while meeting the criteria on the generalities. Um, There's another small note here that if you memorized every word of the book, like I have, if you were doing your job, (laughs) um, Augusta Longbottom loudly clapped her hands together three times after he says that line. Um, That was her applauding his, you know, line there. And if you remember that when she meets Harry at the train station after Christmas, uh, she says that I read professor Quirrell's Christmas speech or whatever, you know, the speech he gave after the last battle. And it's something our country has not long needed to hear. I did not so much approve of your response to it, Mr. Potter. So, like, I guess what I'm getting uh, at is, is old lady Longbottom is a closet fascist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I'm kidding. There's a more charitable That's way, right. which is, I think, what she likes to, I mean, like, man, putting it this way actually puts a fine point on it. Like, you know, the wizarding world got decimated by, you know, one asshole and his 50 friends. And they and killed her kids. Well, well yeah, so her, her kids are currently, or rather, her... All being tortured, that's right. Yeah, her daughter, or her dead. son and her and her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law yeah. are now laying in a hospital bed, you know, with their minds so, broken. Yeah. And so, of course, she's like, you know what? Last last time things went super wrong. You guys got to get off your asses and kick some ass. Like, uh, I, I now I'm super th- sympathetic to uh, Augusta <laughs> Longbottom's, like, kind of need for reform here, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I, I was trying to remember, because the and if you just like say it all on paper, that like this all sounds like this. These sounds like Quirrell like being sort of anti-fascist authoritarian, um, but that setup did it was all just totally just like playing into the like you all just need to like line up, you know. In you, well, yeah, that was it. It's like oh, you got taken out by like fifty Death Eaters because you guys wouldn't line up behind one leader that could. Um, that could organize you into fighting it. Um, so it was sort of the like you, you fell to uh, 
you fell to the bad guy because you didn't have your own bad guy. Um, I mean, it's not even clear to me, like, it. you know, it's possible. I think Harry uses the word light lord. But, yeah. like, Dumbledore's uh, Order of the Phoenix, I get the impression they weren't, like, putting out classifieds in the newspaper. But uh, you'd think anybody could go to Dumbledore and be like, can I help you? Um, and yet everyone seemed to just be like, oh, no, we'll hang out and hide in our house while Dumbledore saves us. Yeah. And uh, that was the the mistake that Longbottom and uh, Quirrell are apparently super pissed at. And it's like, you guys can't just like sit around and hope someone else will solve all your problems for you. And if you guys aren't going to lead the problem solving, you guys need to get behind the person who is. And that's so, just so funny. you can't sit. That's what's so like weird. And I got to this is on purpose. The, you guys can't all sit around and wait for somebody to solve your problems for you. You need to all follow the one guy that's going to tell you how to solve all your problems. Like it's so, and and that is kind of like that's like one of the core themes of, of like Ender's Game is like oh we're just, like all of humanity's hopes are pinned on the one you know savior of humanity, and that's kind of how like Quirrell sets it up is you know you peasants are too dumb to know what's good for you. You just need to all get behind one smart person that's going to tell you what to do. At least in times of war, I mean that was uh, Rome's whole thing, right? Um, you could declare like emergency power when you're at war, yeah. and. I am now, I'm not, I've never been well learned in history, but I used to know more than I'm floundering around to do now. But <laughs> that was a thing that for like the first 500 years when they were a republic, you could say, you know what, we're not a republic right now, we're at war, we need soldiers, you guys are going to listen to me, and uh, that, that was going to be it. And then, uh, of course, what happens is you get a one who says, you know, war is over, but uh, I, like, uh, I like being in charge. And uh, We're in the global war on terror. Right. Who's who's who do we, the, who do we march quarrel, behind in the, it's in the, the war quarrel on, war on mediocrity? Right. <laughs> anyway, then we cut to Draco, who is told that they won, but of course he doesn't feel like he won because he didn't. Yeah. He got stomped by a mudblood in front of everybody, um, and it's uh, obviously well. That actually, I like this. You know, we won, and then he's just like, I lost, mm-hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> His whole thing is this is where the thing, you know, the padlock on his glove clicking and falling away. And then Granger swirled and spun and screamed, Alohomora. And um, this is where it feels very like awesome anime flashback to that badass moment <laughs> or whatever. But he's sitting there thinking, like, you know, God, if that wasn't my 28th or whatever spell, that would have been a lot stronger. Um, yeah, and he knows he like can't use it. Like, that's the reason and a valid excuse, and he can't use excuses. Right. It's like, it's a valid excuse and it's, it sounds like an excuse. And, you know, I remember that being a contention of mine when my vocabulary wasn't as well developed, like in third grade or whatever, I had an argument with a teacher because I used to get in trouble a lot and like, well, whatever trouble is when you're 10 and, (laughs) you know, you can't always have excuses for your behavior. And I'm like, I'm not excusing my behavior. I'm explaining it. Um, (laughs) and so, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, yeah fucking school stupid um <laughs> but you know you you get past it it's you know kid stuff um let's see uh this is where so it's he's like, contemplating it's like, his, yeah and he's like all aware of sort of like all of the kind of social forms that not, not just like in the, in the letter he writes to hermione but just like and he took he talks about it as it being a forced move that like he's like hyper aware in a very sort of slytherin kind of way of the expectations of like his role in things and people's perception of him 
and that like all of the actions he has to take um, from that point are kind of like pre no matter how much they suck they're predetermined um, and it's sort of like interesting like sort of how of like accurately hyper aware Draco is of kind of the politics capital P politics and lowercase p politics of what's going on yeah and so he knows that like the the public especially the Slytherin yeah. public won't accept his excuse even though it's totally legit yeah. It's like, guys, I was worn the fuck out by casting this high-level spell 30 times. And they're going to be like, ha-ha, Malfoy got beat by a mud blood. Yeah. And what so, his father's going to think. Yeah. And, and so what's interesting, then he like goes to then other kind of like social mores as the way to sort of like navigate his way through it. Like other you, kind of like, well, so so what he, he then starts writing this like super formal letter on like emerald and silver ink. Oh yeah, um, to which is hilarious. Hermione to challenge her to a. It's, does it quite say it like it was explicitly a duel, but basically something like, I you know you've you've offended my honor, blah blah blah, and here are these like and some kind of specific societal rules about like and then I'm allowed to dictate the terms of, of the challenge that I'm making, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he he um, has a book where he's pulling like the, yeah. the form of the letter from. But what I like before that is because his first plan is to just jump her like in public. And then, like, oh, let everyone was, see, but oh, I am stronger me. than her. Right, and that was his thing. And I like this a lot because everyone needs this in their head. Um, he says, uh, well, the other fun thing, too, is that he'd gotten, it, it is confirmed that he got his wand two years before anyone else. Mm-hmm. But that giving wands to nine-year-olds doesn't do much because age matters and Granger's a little older. And so then he has his voice of contrary evidence says, and Granger was exhausted, too. Granger mm-hmm. must have been exhausted from all those stunning hexes. Even even in that state, she's been able to do, undo your locking charm. And you can't challenge her publicly, one-on-one with no excuses, and lose. So what do you do? Well, we'll do a little science experiment. We'll challenge her one-on-one and super private. And if I win, then I'll beat her up in public. And if <laughs> I lose, I'll think of something else. <laughs> you know, cheat or something, right? I know. Yeah, I thought um, it was interesting. Like, And all of, all of that only works because he has this sort of very rigid set of kind of noble rules to work with that he knows and she doesn't right and that's that's the i uh, it, i i uh, oh that's the book the etiquette of the houses of britain oh, yeah, that's what it says. so he, he gets to go pull like the formal letterhead from it mm-hmm. and the the book is bound in silver and emeralds and so is the sheepskin parchment and the the inkwell is filled with greenish silver ink that had been made with true mm. silver and crushed emeralds and it's like how much does this shit cost like, <laughs> what, where's your where's your emerald and silver coated toilet um <laughs> it's just it's like a funny way to keep flexing his status and then as long as i'm rambling i like this little uh aside about to Hermione because he gives his super long title including like like, both his parents names his grandfather's name etc etc oh yeah the first Granger the first Granger which sounds like and that's then there's the parenthetical Mm -hmm. the form might have been meant to sound polite long ago when it had been invented nowadays after centuries being used to address mudbloods it carried a lovely tinge of refined venom (laughs) I Draco of most ancient house demand redress for the uh for that I have thrice helped you and offered you only my goodwill, and in return you falsely accuse me of plotting against you. And he's actually, like, feeling the indignation because he's like, seriously, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, I think it's like, I was just picturing, like, like the, 
the like awesomely stereotypically American. Like if you could sort of like transpose that out, like imagine Hermione's American and a very sort of crass American and he tries to pull you like, you know, bust out the book of etiquette or even my oh, she was Australian. That'd be more, or you'd just be like, yeah, no, <laughs> I, can, I can do better. I, that was part of the delight of watching Glorious Bastards. Uh, Brad Pitt's character is like the Tennessee guy. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they're leading back the... Uh, um, God, what is that actor's name? The one who can speak like five languages. Uh, he hosted SNL. Mm-hmm. He played the 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 hunter in, in Glorious Bastards. Um, um. Oh crap! It's gonna drive me crazy. Anyway, that awesome guy. So they they're gonna bring him back to the Allies, as part of like the guy's conditional surrender because he's letting them kill Hitler, mm-hmm. and they're like, all right, I'm now in your custody, and he's like playing along, being like the you know, he's doing the ceremony of it, and then they cuff him, and then immediately uh, Brad Pitt just shoots the other guy he's with, the other Nazi, <laughs> and then he's just like, Danny, scalp him, and he hands him a knife because they're <laughs> they're scalping all these Nazis, uh-huh. and then. Uh, the guy's like, are you insane? You'll be killed. You'll be executed for this. And he's like, nah, nah. Uh, chewed out, <laughs> chewed out. Maybe I've been chewed out before, <laughs> nah. but it is just like, you know, like the guy's being all just serious. And he's just like, nah, I'll, I'll be chewed out. It's not a big deal. <laughs> all right. So Draco has his forced move cause he can't afford to lose face, which is pretty serious face for where Draco is. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's challenging her to a duel by Wizengamot rules or whatever. And then on the back, he writes like his postscriptum, which is the like informal way of saying it. If you don't know how yeah. the rules work, Granger, here's how it is. You insulted an ancient house, and I've got a lawful right to challenge. And if you affront the conditions of the duel, like by having Flitwick show up at the trophy room, or even just telling anyone else, my father will take you and your false honor straight to the Wizengamot. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Which is like the stupidest thing ever, but hey, if you... Because, like, you're not allowed to have duels at Hogwarts, he even says. So it's like, how is, how is Lucius going to drag you before the government if, you know, you say, no, nah, I'm not going to go, you know, break the rules at Hogwarts. Anyway, just Draco flexing his, his house mm-hmm. again. Um, Between 12-year-olds. Right. Was Draco, Draco's 11? Or is he 12, too? Uh, I'm not sure when his birthday um, is. Yeah. But we get a, a cut to Harry, and he's just... I also like how it keeps it hits the beat of using his full name a bunch of times because this is mm. kind of a critical moment for him, and like by using, in my mind, by using his full name, it's like you. This is your identity to not fuck shit up, and you're about to make a mistake. Mm. Um, that's my read on it anyway. His his whole thing is like okay, well, he's been warned by Susan that she, you know she's worried that uh, Draco's going to pull some shit like soon. And he's like, okay, I should probably talk with Hermione. And then he looks down the, the dinner bench at Hermione and she's over there looking grumpy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, I shouldn't bother her when she's in a bad mood. <laughs> and then... And it talks know, about how, like, how in like, real life stupid shit like that has a much bigger influence than we like to say they do in stories. Right. I just didn't want to... I was tired. Yeah, Frodo Baggins taking the ring to, ring to Mordor, not because... Uh, it would have been too because he was a hero and not because it would have been too awkward not to if anyone ever wrote a true story of the world not that anyone ever could or would probably 97% of all the key moments of fate would have turned out to be constructed with lies and tissue paper and trivial little (laughs) thoughts that someone could have just as easily thought differently that was the omaki wasn't it 
the Frodo thing? Like that was the reason he did it? No, that was the badass thing where like the ring gave you like this super sharp uh, like wasn't intelligence. There was something too. like one of those Amaki's head that kind of that theme about like I can't remember now. There it, was something about there like, was a Lord of the Rings one, but it wasn't about Frodo being too awkward. Uh, it was about like the, there's no way that yeah, yeah, Dark yeah. Lord Sauron is dumb enough to like not see us yeah. marching the the ring into his domain. Um, also, are there no other volcanoes in Middle Earth? I guess not. Whatever. Um, just the one. Yeah, and that's the, also like the not the point of the story. So you know, you take that how it is. Is so, Middle Earth flat? Uh, there's mountains. <laughs> oh, you mean like is it a flat flat exactly. world? It's a flat world. It's Middle Earth. It's not very big. I didn't read the the books. At the end, do they see the do they see the ships that, go like over the, the elves, horizon? The elves, they go over the, they, and they just like fall off the edge. <laughs> And it's like some kind of like Terry Gilliam animation that goes with it. It's perfect. So this is why I like this. Uh, so after dinner, because he doesn't want to, you know, talk to Hermione because she seems grumpy. Um, he goes down to the Slyther- Slytherin basement and was told by Vincent that the boss ain't to be disturbed. <laughs> and so then Harry is like, well, maybe I should go talk to Hermione. And then, uh, no, you, you know, mm, I, I should wait. Tomorrow. But then this is the part that I like. Harry wondered if he might just be procrastinating, if his mind had found a clever excuse to put off something unenjoyable but necessary. He actually thought that. And then he decided that he talked to Draco tomorrow morning instead, and then talked to Hermione. <laughs> it's funny, but it's tragic. Like, you know, if, if it's you... It's relatable. It's, it's relatable. You know, if you've ever made a mistake and you're like, I literally thought of how to avoid this and I didn't do it. Especially if the mistake has costs. Um... Yeah, I'll leave my stuff aside because it's not related to Harry Potter. So <laughs> we'll pull on to uh, breakfast. breakfast the next morning. And I'll let you take This is day. more, yeah, weird. So, uh, yeah, Herm- uh, Harry's like eating and then Hermione shows up and she just shows up and sits like next to him and is like, uh, hey, morning, how's it going? And this is all like super weird because... Uh, I mean, because it's, it, it's not so she's not just like acting normal, but it's it's almost like inappropriately normal as if nothing has happened. Uh, and for me, this is still like a total question mark. I have no idea what the fuck is going on with Hermione. Um, I got to point out something totally not related to any of the plot stuff. Right. But Harry is having breakfast of a waffle and then mm-hmm. he later moves on to dessert pie. for breakfast, which turns out to be pie. <laughs> and I'm like, if dessert for breakfast isn't the waffle component, then like, what is <laughs> I mean, the, the, the healthy part of breakfast is like, all right, I'm going to have my little smoothie, you know, a couple eggs, some bacon or sausage or whatever. And then like the waffle is the dessert part. But apparently the waffle was the warm up and the dessert was the pie. It was pie, yeah. Maybe, you know, this happens a lot. I think, all right, so I'm going to go a little more meta for one second. We record these basically right after work and they run for, mm. as you guys know, a couple, three hours. And I tend to eat small lunches throughout the workday just because I am not really in the zone to like sit back and have a big meal. So by the time we're sitting down to record these, I tend to be pretty hungry, especially towards the end. <laughs> so all this food stuff is like, like I would mm, kill for a waffle, waffle right now. <laughs> waffle sounds good. Okay, enough food talk. So Hermione, Hermione shows up, bags under her eyes, and is acting super duper normal. I know, yeah, and it's not. I mean, it's not just merely normal, but it's like, a, like right now is not the right time to even acting normal. So it's not even that like a different. Yeah, she's gone from, like, her one kind of weird, you know, something's wrong with Hermione behavior to this other, like, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't be pretending everything's normal again. 
Um, but we kind of don't, we don't really get anything to make of it, right? We don't really get much more to go on. Am I missing something? But I think like that's pretty much it other than Draco. Uh, Harry notices that Draco's not there and we've already had a very long detailed explanation of how much thought Draco puts into showing up to breakfast on time. Um, yeah, so and, Draco's not there. Hermione's then, acting bizarrely normal, like someone who's trying to act normal. Yeah, and, and then the cops show up. Yeah, then then the cops show up, and, and Harry thinks they're there for him, and he's all freaking out that okay, maybe he's about to get busted for the whole Azkaban thing. Um, and then they walk right up to Harry because Harry's sitting right next to Hermione. Oh wait, um, there's a small beat that I just noticed because I was reading the part where, um, well, I noticed to pull out and I didn't put in the notes. Uh, he's like, like you said, nonchalant, like, oh, you know, oh, now what with the cops? And then he's like, oh, God, is it the Azkaban breakout? And he looks at the head table and Quirrell's not there. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, and I found that one. <laughs> that's interesting. Stephen says as though he doesn't know. Um, I've yeah, actually read that, like six chapters ahead because these are super awesome, intense ones. <laughs> and uh, so I, I it's all I'll fresh in my head. Know. But anyway, um, what happens? I keep interrupting, man. This is the big beat. I think, well, that's it. This whole uh, we're, we're kind of done. Yeah, but that did, like, I filed that back in my head again of, because that reminded me of, like, when she did the protest in, outside of Dumbledore's office and Quirrell, like, then conspicuously disappeared before Dumbledore showed up. So I was sort of, like, quickly playing my head. I'm like, okay, who's in the room? Like, what's going on right now? Is this, like, what are the reasons that Quirrell's not there? Um, sounds like I don't know yet and then will. Um but you never find out. I never. Ever. The real the real trick is that Voldemort is not Quirrell being there. Or Quirrell not being there. <laughs> that, doesn't, that, that, doesn't, that was the real Voldemort all along. That doesn't even parse as grammatically correct. <laughs> Syntax error. You you dare challenge me with a compiling <laughs> error for my ridiculous, uncomprehensible statement. Anyway, man, what's the last line of the chapter? Uh what is the last I don't know I didn't pull it as a line. But yeah, oh it's basically you're under arrest or something, isn't it? Yeah, Hermione Granger, or yeah. or Komodo said in Tomba's voice. Yeah, you just pulled out she's arrested, but you are under arrest for the attempted murder of Draco Malfoy. Dun, dun, dun. That was my note. Oh, yeah, yeah but was, I didn't change the color. Our notes yeah. are color-coded, because I like being fancy. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah man, that's, that's where we're at. This is uh, the longest chapter in the book so far, isn't it? Correct. Yes. And... Cool. If I was really mean, I would leave you hanging on chapter 79. Um, actually, so. so because I, in all my enthusiasm of having read ahead so much, I forgot to do a word count and get us like actually prepped for the next episode, um, which is hilarious because I was reading ahead as of before last recording. Um, all right, Brian, what do you think? Do you want to do... Uh, 14,000 or 19,000 words of what I think is pretty well, dense I, stuff. If it's dense, yeah, I was going to say, it's, again, it's not word count. It's how much is going on. I think it just, I think we've been doing better to like be shorter in yeah. this room to talk about it than trying to cram it. Because it sucks when we're like, okay, with it, like we're like, oh, it's been going on for three hours and we still have half a chapter to go. Yeah, and those are the ones, too, where, like, where I, I hate spiraling towards the end because it's like, you know, we don't want to yeah. not give the last stretch our all our effort, but then we're all hungry and tired, so... Mm-hmm. All right, well, this actually has a super duper benefit of being uh, a great cliffhanger to leave you sitting there pulling your hair out for as long as... Maybe you'll just wait until, like, whatever Tuesday afternoon to read. I I could, yeah, I could just read, like, immediately after we record. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, so you could read the next two chapters, then you'd be sitting there for a week, not able to read chapter 81. So. Well, now I know not to, so. Well, I, you know, I mean, you, you, you do whatever you got to do. The, the, the audience is playing now. along, of which I know there's at least a couple. Um, we are doing chapters 79 and 80 next episode. So I'm gonna. I'm not gonna read it until the day before we record, and then I can read the two chapters after that, right after we record. And so I'm in a pain-free environment. And then not have a, a cliffhanger dangling no, over no, you for no, too long. There will be no cliffs hanging. And no cliff hanging for you. All right. Well, in that case, there's still a lot of. Uh... Right, man, I'm really looking forward to this. Shit's dialing up. If you can't tell. Um, what do you think? Like, what the fuck's going on? I mean, as long, we've got a few minutes, and I'm not totally burnt out yet. What the <laughs> hell? Hermione is arrested for the attempted murder of Draco Malfoy. Do you have any, I, well, anything you want to try and like throw at that? So, well, this is very clearly Kermit oriented. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so well, so I would say it's all some kind of like. Like not actually like her mind has been fucked with. So so we already so we saw that like Kermit can just alter her recollection of what happened. And I think we got like several ellipses in the end of that. So like maybe even Blue Fairy wasn't the last version of that. Like Kermit just kept trying, you know, different things until he got exactly the response out of her. So Hermione's but see what I so at the least Hermione is acting like is operating on inaccurate information, like Kermit is like fucked with her head in some way to like make her think something happened or give her false memories because he's able to just like erase things and we've already established that one. Um, but except she's also just acting weird. So I guess maybe her weirdness could just be that like some wildly off base bit of information has been told. Like she's been told some shocking thing that wasn't actually true, but she thinks it is. But so, but. And I would say, like, oh, it's just, like, all in her head, except Draco's not there, so something happened. Um, I guess this could be, the, like, the way... I was going to say, like, this could be Draco framing her, and that would help him. But um, but that actually would just make Draco look weak, so that wouldn't work for him. Now that you mentioned Quirrell not being there, um, so that's been, like, filed in the back of my head is... Quirrell's very threatened by the Hermione, Draco, Harry trifecta and wants to break that apart. So maybe this is, um, and I guess I like, so Quirrell, Quirrell being Kermit is kind of high on my list as possible, but that's mostly just like plot rules around. We're not going to bring in other rent, like Ludo Bagman is not going to show up at being Kermit. Um, and, and that was a very, like, like I th- think I said before, that was a very sociopath thing to do to just keep switching people until you get the right response so that made it feel very quarrel so maybe this uh this could all be these are meshing issues of quarrel seems like a pretty obvious thing to say having thought that all out now um so i don't know and she's acting normally what's that like when we first meet sith kermit um he asks like did you tell quarrel the lie i gave you to tell quarrel and like, I, I mean, and I guess and he wouldn't need to because he does. And he's only said that to Zabini and there's no need to sort of manipulate Zabini's beliefs because he can make Zabini believe anything he wants him to believe. Well, then he goes on to subsequently mind wipe him. Uh, yeah. So he presumably his existence because yeah. he's like a quadruple agent. Then he's like, I'm happy to be a triple agent again or pentuple yeah. then down to quadruple or whatever. 
um, it's, it, it, you know, just a, a little beat. I, yeah. uh, all I'm trying to or do is I'm not trying to like tell you this is true or this isn't true or you know whatever it is. It's just more just I'm like not, you're not telling me diddly squat. No, so what I'm wondering. Well, so no, I, so now that you've asked me and you're like I'm making you like making me think about it more. I'm thinking so. Well, so things are kind of definitely new. It's definitely some kind of fallout from whatever happened with Sith Kermit slash Blue Fairy. Um. It seems it's got to be significant that Quirrell is not there. Um, and so, yeah, I'm this. So now I'll say I'm so I don't know, like guess that and Hermione's talking about, oh, is Draco plotting against me that Hermione th- thinks something that. Draco was up to some very Malfoy-seeming kind of shittiness, but he's not because actually Draco's not as bad as everybody thinks the Malfoys are. But she thinks Draco did something horrible and then did something to retaliate. But I mean, she definitely didn't. I don't think she, for realsy, tried to uh, kill Malfoy. So especially if it was like, and if it's a duel, it would seem very like not, it would be pretty lame on Draco's part to challenge her to a secret duel that she can't tell anybody about and then use that as a way to uh, to get her arrested for attempted murder. And that doesn't help Draco. That doesn't make Draco appear strong. Um, so I don't think Draco's in on it. I don't think it really happened. So I think there's, like that's going to be a false memory something. But yeah, I don't know. So it's, I guess so my like vague guess is Hermione's retaliating for a terrible thing that never actually happened. But it also seems like, and now she doesn't know that because she's certainly not acting like somebody that like just did something the night before. So she did something, and that was the night before, that duel or whatever is supposed to be the night before. So she did something in retaliation based on a false memory, but then that retaliation got wiped from her as well, I guess. I like it. No, that's awesome. I, you so, actually hit one of go. the things I was going to hit with the leading question because like, Draco has that conversation with Harry on the the first day on the platform nine three quarters where he's like, "Oh no, I could just you know make shit up or do something, and then I could take it to court." And my dad has the votes, um, mm-hmm. and so if he'd wanted to, he could just be like, "Hermione tried to kill me, father," and he'd be like, "That mud blood bitch, I'll get her." Um, but you're right; that would make him look strong. Yeah, he uh, can't do that. You know, going off crying to daddy with making stuff up, so you don't think Draco's in on it. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is this act. This hurts Draco so it doesn't help that's not to his advantage tight so, alright well I yeah. think that's enough speculation to keep me satisfied oh uh, yeah and I also get to like and I get to like ping off of the uh, I guess people don't know so when I uh, made that uh, whatever random guess about the uh, uh, what the hell's her name um, the dead beetle lady Rita Skeeter Rita Skeeter that the, that the way that they fooled Rita Skeeter was with some kind of like planted memory something like after we quit recording you're like oh my god have you been like cheating and reading other stuff because how did you guess that <laughs> so which i guess is like the, the like the biggest i was like okay apparently i'm totally right about that and that there's some significance to it so now the uh oh fake memory thing i'm like oh, okay there's a data point there's something i got right yeah, all right yeah, fake memories I, so that will be my golden hammer all things cannot be explained with fake memories well yes so <laughs> i i I t- did that off the air because I didn't wanted to, you know, didn't want to tell everyone I was letting you cheat, but or not, 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 not that I was letting you cheat, that I was that I was giving you an answer, and so I, I gave that up because I was, I was floored 
that you nailed the Rita Skeeter guess. You're like, well, wait a minute. She, the Rita Felthorn woke up believing something that wasn't true. You can just make memories up. Well, that's obviously what happened to Bug Lady. And I'm like, how the did fuck I, did you get I guess, that? Uh, that's what I'm wondering, like, how much, like, because I imagine, like, all the terrible guesses I make just, like, f- you know, fall away because you don't remember. Because, no, I was just like, oh, yeah, I guess that's what they could have done with Rita Skeeter. But, yeah, yeah so no, I was like, tight. oh, yeah, definitely. And so I brought that up because it, it seemed like it was out of left field. And uh, I surrendered information from a couple chapters in the future that it is given, <laughs> it is given up as a throwaway oh, I'm line. Find, I'm about to find that, out. Well, it's like I said, the reason I gave you that uh, a little early was because it's kind of a throwaway line, but you're right. I guess doing that, I, I, uh, that could be in, inadvertently gave you the addition that, like, oh, yeah, you can no, I think you know, pay attention to the memories. fake memory thing. Yeah. So, I, but we did like that. Like, that's been like more because that was very explicit at the end of that chapter that, like, okay, it's the same Sith Kermit trick of fucking with your memory. Um, so. That would, like that one, even on its own, was like yet another hint. But yeah, I guess I'm probably keying off that more than I would have. Maybe I don't know. Well, in my defense, I didn't tell you anything that you couldn't have already figured out. So I guess well, probably like the only quote thing you spoiled is that there's and I, actually, and I still don't know, is that there was much significance to it because I think like when I said it, I'm just like, oh yeah, because like even like that that whole like how did the Weasleys fool Rita Skeeter thing does you know even still doesn't like plant as any sort of like plot significance at all so it's just like oh yeah i guess that's how they could have done that other thing well because i think because like we were talking about before it was it was more like oh like i think we you and i had batted around the idea that like okay it didn't really happen but i think i was more going like oh you know that that could have been polyjuice people like that whole thing could have been the, the magic has got all kinds of ways for the thing that you witnessed to be completely fake so yeah. I was like, that was, so then the like, okay, fake memory thing is just one of like several f- flavors of how do you pull that off? Well, and to be clear, I'm not saying that like fake memories play a huge part in the story, just that you happened to hit that one thing with it. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's the Rita Skeeter uh, confirmation of your guess is is literally like a one sentence throwaway. But right. so like I wasn't trying to overemphasize the importance of false memories and more of just like saying you nailed that part so hard that I'm skeptical. <laughs> so. I have we because I now I can't remember like has it been I think maybe I've even already asked you this. Do we know other than us guessing? But do we has it been explicitly said that like okay that bug was the bug that Coral stepped on was Rita Skeeter and now she's dead? Um, it doesn't come right out and say it. But we do know it, she's dead, though, right? Well, we know that she has never been heard from again. Oh, okay. oh that's uh, right. Yeah, she's, the, she's, the explanation she's Quirrell gives Harry during their lunch is that she probably fled the country and changed her name, and then he gets mm-hmm. up and kills her. Um, yeah. Like, so it's it's subtle enough that I definitely missed out on my first read. But if you're reading slowly and carefully, um, and I, I'm not, I know it's a very common thing to have missed because, like, she says she has a time and a place and a bug to be. If you remember that from the originals, she was a blue beetle. Um, and, like, there was just enough about that. But that but you, nothing has been said, like, explicitly and out loud that, okay, Rita Skeeter was killed. No. Yeah. I mean, because how would anyone even know? You know, you go in there and you clean the dead bug off the wall. Yeah, I guess it's, if you're, so if you're a transfigure, trans, what are they, if you're an amegastist, uh, when you die, you, you, you are dead. She's dead as a bug. She doesn't, like... I think the werewolf rules are if you like if you shoot the werewolf they they turn back into a human. She lived like a bug and died like a bug. Died like a bug. All right. 
Well, that's enough for me. Um, unless there's anything else you wanted to get out for this episode. No, sir. Cool. Well, everyone do check out the... Uh, everyone who's played The Last of Us 2, keep your eyes open on the uh, Doof Media exclusive, uh, Patreon exclusive feed. And this isn't the coolest thing on there by a mile. Do check out all of the uh, episodes that Matt Friedman and his brother have put out. I think it's the uh, the Freeman Bros, um, <laughs> like the Mario Bros, and uh, that one will be out right around the release of this episode. And we'll be back next week for chapters seventy nine and eighty. Bye bye.